listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. Welcome to another episode of the GGTMC. We are back with some more film coverage for you this week and other things, uh, including salami talk off the air. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) that'll stay between me and Large William. Yes. (laughs) And it's not what you think. (laughs) No. All right. So this week we uh, got a couple of uh, good films to talk about. We got uh, 1974's Gone in 60 Seconds, directed by H.B. Halicki. And uh, we have uh, 1979, I believe, uh, uh, Andy Sidar's film known as Savano 7, starring one William Smith. Uh, yes. Not the Will Smith either. It's no uh, summertime. Although, uh, arguably, this William Smith's uh, fashion sense is much better. So I would agree with that. All right. So that's what we're covering. So let's just see what Large William's been watching. Okay, so I, I've really been tapering off. I started off the month at an insane clip. I knew I couldn't keep up. Um, so what have I watched? Um, well, I watched Big Fan, for starters. And I think I fall between you and The Hat. Okay. Um, I think a lot of the criticisms Hat had, I agreed with. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the, the, the football fan stuff, it just seemed like it was written by someone who didn't really know football other than sort of Right. Um, other than sort of mimicking what they thought football fans would banter about or, or would say, I listen to. I told you, Sammy, I listen to a lot of talk radio off the, uh, out of NFL talk radio through my satellite radio. Right. And it doesn't sound anything like this. Um, <laughs> I think it's a fantastic script that explores some interesting themes, uh-huh. um, especially the decision that the character has to make in terms of how he's going to proceed based on uh, the, the main point in the film. But I just don't think I thought it was a little amateurish, um, and I don't think Patton. Oswald was up to the task. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, so that was... So, for, those, um, for those who never think that the GGTMC, that the gents never disagree, there you, there you go. That's a perfect example. Yes, that is a perfect example. Um, I watched Fat City, which is a film that I think Brian, uh, Rupert, and uh, Wilson had been, you know, and, and probably Shiftless, for other people... And Doc Zom, probably, too. I think Doc Zom mentioned that before, too. And Zom. Um, a lot have mentioned it. It's a John Houston film. It's a boxing film uh, with Stacey Keach and uh, Jeff Bridges. Wow. I mean, this is an amazing film. Keach does give really an amazing, really real performance, really lived-in performance. It doesn't glamorize anything or or doesn't follow the beats. You would think sort of the, the redemption of the, you know, boxing films usually take. Uh, really, really, really good film. Right. Yep. Um, I watched Network for the first time. I'd never seen it, actually. And uh, I had it on the PVR, so I figured I'd uh, I'd get into it. Uh, a very great, you know, very very good film. It's got it's a film about um, the monologue. Everyone has one. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, that's true. I didn't really think of it that way, but you're right. Yeah, everyone's got <laughs> one, including one that sort of becomes a bit uh, satirical of Finch's, you know, whole fire and brimstone stuff. Ned Beatty yeah. does a great, uh, a great, 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 great one that sort of mocks Finch. Uh, 
mm-hmm. and his uh, fire and brimstone approach. Great film. Dunaway looks great. Uh, good, really good stuff. Yeah. Um, I watched a film called Julia, which has sort of slipped under a lot of radars. Um, it's got uh, your girl, your girl Tilda Swinton. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's mention that now while we can. Okay, so the other night, Large William and I are talking on the phone. And we get into this talk where, you know, this this this, this started because of Big Fan. Uh, yeah. I, I'm sure you don't mind if I say this, right? You're, no, you're, no, okay. by all means. Okay. Uh, I have nothing to hide from our listeners. All right. Uh, so we thought it would be kind of interesting, and we'll get some of you guys to call in or write in and let us know. But for some strange reason, there's some actresses or people in movies that you just are turned on by or you just want to have sex with. And this could be male or female. It could be you ladies, too, if you guys have anybody that you just know isn't really attractive, but you can't help yourself. And for me, <laughs> Tilda Swinton does that for some reason. I have no idea why. She looks like a fucking she looks like one of them damn creatures out of the damn time machine movie, like a Morlock yeah. or whatever it's called. <laughs> she does, man. <laughs> or like a female Gary Sinise or some shit. <laughs> And I don't know what it is about her that turns me on, but something does. Uh, so whatever. Uh, and uh, Large William, you want to share what you? Because it's tied back to big fan. So you want to do? Want to share what you had to say to me the other night? Um, well, it's partially, but I'll expose myself even further. Oh yeah, that's um, right. You had another one too. Okay, I had a better one that's going to embarrass, not embarrass me, but you had kind of felt bad about it. And you're almost apologetic, and I said, "Hey, listen, you know, to me, Swinton's uh, beauty." And with all due respect, if by some off chance Miss Swinton's listening. <laughs> Uh, I think her talent is inversely proportional to her looks. Um, uh, yeah. But I, I, you, you were kind of saying, oh, yeah, she's pretty bad. And I said, you know what, Sammy, don't feel bad because I kind of think Sandra Bernhardt's <laughs> sexually appealing. <laughs> and let me just say, I'm fully aware that she is one of the most hideous creatures in the history of pop culture. I've come to the conclusion, Large William, that you have a thing for women with spaces between their teeth. I do, and I also have a thing for women with big noses. Yes, um, nice, nice. My wife has neither. Yeah, uh, she true. has a smaller nose and no space in her teeth. Yeah, it's true. I saw her. I met your <laughs> wife, and she does not have either one of those things. <laughs> no, but uh, for some reason, I've always found the... I don't know why, because Bernard's so obnoxious, but... Yeah, so then Sammy and I thought it'd be great for everyone to bring that skeleton out of their closet, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, Zom or Emily or, or anyone, quite frankly. We'd love to hear sort of embarrassing celebrities that you find attractive for some inexplicable reason. Yeah, go ahead and share it with us. And yeah, the, the big fan was also that uh, Large William found the, and I did too, actually, in some ways, <laughs> the sister-in-law in the film. We found we both found her sexually attractive, and neither one of us can understand why. <laughs> well, she's just this sort of gross caricature of Jersey Italian trash. Uh, yes. But yeah, she just... <laughs> You know, being guys, I guess, being pigs. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. what it comes so That's why we want, so we want some female perspective. So if there's any ladies out there that uh, just find, if you, there's just some male that you know everybody else thinks is hideous, but you just find gorgeous or you just feel like this animal lust, or we'd, we'd love to hear some of this from our listeners. So, Oh, yeah. All right, yeah. so we'll, we'll cut that and then I'll, and, uh, let you get back to what you've been watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I watched this film, Julia, um, which Swinton really transforms in this film. She plays um, a boozy kind of, uh, you know, washed up older party girl. And she put on a few pounds for this role. Um, and actually, Sammy, she looks better than I think I've ever seen her in a film, as much as she looks like there's a lot of uh, mileage on the tires, so to speak. Um, and she's topless in the film a few parts, which is sort of odd. But uh, I'm down. I haven't seen it yet. I might have to watch it now. <laughs> about, to put, about, to but, put, about to put some calluses on the little samurai tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, she's fantastic in this film. I mean, it's she should be nominated for an Oscar this year. And 
even though I w- uh, saw Rubinek, who's a bit of a character actor, um, he's amazing in this film. He's only in a couple scenes, and it's unfortunate because I think if this film had been higher profile and he had been in maybe one or two more scenes, we're talking best supporting actor here. I mean, he was really good in it. Yeah, you know, Sal Rubinick, he uh, always gets characterized as kind of like a, you know, kind of like a background actor. You know, he's kind of like, uh, I can see Patton Oswalt's future actually being like Sal Rubinick's. Uh, but I love Sal Rubinick. I think he's really good. Uh, he's really, Remember him in, uh, he was in Unforgiven, remember? He was really good in that. Too. Yes, yes. Really fucking good in that. He, You know, he's just such a character actor. And he's, oh, remember he was in True Romance, too. He was really good in that. I'm trying to remember who he was. I remember Bronson Pinchot. And he was kind of the uh, he was kind of like the Joel Silver producer of the Body Bags. Oh, films. oh yes, yes, and he was really arrogant in it. Yeah, like like Joel Silver supposedly. Yes, so. <laughs> <laughs> he's a good actor, man. He really is. He gets a uh, kind of the short uh, stick there every now and then, but he is good. But he holds his own with Swinton. I mean, and Swinton's a powerhouse. There's not too many actresses better than her, and he he goes toe to toe, man. And he, he he definitely holds his own. But I watched that film. It's two and a half hours long. It's way too long, but uh, it's a good film. Um, and the last one I watched this week, non show related, is is something that I'm going to finally put something to bed. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> there's been an ongoing uh, thing with you know, is the Hulk, the Angley Hulk good? Is it bad? Emily says it's bad. Zom says it's good. You're sort of in the middle. Mm-hmm. So I forget I got to watch this thing. So I watched it. And uh, I have to say that uh, <laughs> this film is fucking awful. <laughs> I had said to you, Sammy, that let me actually talk about a few good things very quickly because I know we're, we're pressed for time here. We gotta, I want to hear what you've been watching. Uh, I like hearing Jin from Lost uh, without a Korean accent, which was yeah, yeah. kind of cool. He has mm-hmm. a little cameo. Um, I thought all the acting was good. Yeah. I think some of the stuff they talked about uh, and explored in terms of emotional scars not healing and and the physical manifestation of not just rage but sort of um, hurt uh, being part of the Hulk. I really liked that. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing I didn't like, what I told you, is that uh, if everyone remembers Creepshow, all the sort of comic book frames and the screen wipes, this film is almost as if Neville Dean and Taylor uh, did creep show. There's just, there's so much of them. It's, there's so much cutting and, oh, and the Hulk looks good. I thought too. Um, but the dogs were terrible. I mean, an oversized, <laughs> you know, gamma radiated poodle, uh, that grows to be the size of, um, you know, all bunions ox is just, it's no, you know, what my wife loves about that scene is she's like, why does the Hulk have to be naked? I was like, I don't know. I guess we just need to see some Hulk ass. <laughs> and and they yeah no kidding and also they have to have sort of the groan inducing Hulk gets the, the nut shot like the poodle bites his nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Ang Lee is is an amazing director. I mean he made one of my top ten films the last decade mm-hmm. in the in Brokeback Mountain. He made the Ice Storm which was incredible. I mean he made Crouching Tiger. The guy is an amazing director. Why he went off the rails for this, I'll never know. Well, you know, uh, I don't have any more comments about that because I do fall in the middle. I like it, although I do know it's not great. Uh, I'm looking at the Academy Award nominations, Lars William. And oh, are they out? They are out. Mm, and look at this. What, uh, which site are you on? I'm on IMDb, and if you go to the top, there's a Road to the Oscars, and it says the nominations. And District 9 got nominated for Best Picture of the Year. Oh, wow. That's pretty impressive. Let's take a gander. Actually, I'm really happy that Up got put in there, too, uh, as, as a non-animated film. As as a yeah as a regular film and an animated film in a regular category I should say. Uh, it's two. It's funny. Two films in best the best picture category are have up in the title. Yeah, I know. I'm 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 looking through them too here with you. So we'll look at them live on the air here. The actor categories. There's no real surprises there for me. 
That, that, no. Oh, well, Morgan Freeman. Oh, Morgan Freeman, but yeah, I'd say that's a bit of a that's, surprise. That's, yeah, that's that's not his best work. Uh, well, see, 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 uh, uh, Tilda got overlooked. Yeah. And Meryl Streep got hit for Julia and Julia. I mean, really? I mean, she's great, but I mean, come on. Yeah. I'm glad to see Helen Mirren in there again. Matt Damon again, Invictus. I mean, that's the Clint factor. That's what that is. It is. It's the Clint factor. I love that Tucci's in there because he is the best thing about the Lovely Bones. You know what? As much as I'll tell you what, if Tucci wasn't in that, I mean, if if Christoph Waltz wasn't in this category, I'd be rooting for Tucci. Yeah, yeah. Although I haven't seen The Messenger. I've heard Woody Harrelson's really good in it. Oh, is that the? Oh, yeah. yes, yes. That's the one with my 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 boy uh, Ben <laughs> Forrester. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben Foster, your favorite. Uh, Penelope uh, Cruz there for nine. How about that? Vera was good. Um, Anna Kendrick again. Maggie Jones. Anna Kendrick. Uh, was that his sister? No, that was the young girl. Oh, the young girl with the five head. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the five head. Yes. Yeah. Well, Monique, we know, we know she's the favorite in that category. Uh, the directing category. Well, I think you know who I'm rooting for here, but I think it's going to go to one of the top two there. You know what? Here's the thing. It's it's Bigelow, Cameron, Daniels, Reitman, and Tarantino. Obviously, I want Tarantino to win, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, other than Cameron, I'm fine with any of them. I, you know, Bigelow it would be great for women. Mm-hmm. Lee Daniels, uh, African American director, uh, and then Reitman, Canadian boy. So, but yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll so see. Pretty interesting here. Uh, live. Uh, look, ooh, the Vantage. Oh yeah, that's nice. Fantastic Mr. Fox got nominated for best animated for, feature. Well. Um, cinematography. Oh, there. Okay, they missed the boat on best foreign language film. How come they didn't vote the the ape or the uh... a, a pun? <laughs> Where is? Uh, I can't find the animated. Oh, here it is. Wow, there's some good films in here. But you know, I was gonna smash it. I mean, as much as I like, I I, I prefer, quite frankly, and this may be blasphemous. I prefer Mr. Fox. Uh, I don't know why Up is down here in animated feature and it says Pete Doctor, but if you go back up to the top. Up is up there with, but it's got a semi-color. Yeah, it's because it's, it's got the producer's name. Oh, okay, Jonas the Producer, Revere. they always give the film. The film oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. Let's see. Uh, if Tarantino doesn't win for Best Original Screenplay, it'll be a travesty. Yeah, it will be. Absolutely. Because, I mean, he writes dialogue like Oh, that's so odd. Il Devo only gets one fucking nomination. It's for Achievement in Makeup. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Yeah, probably no. Probably just like me and you and everybody else. Uh, probably nobody in the academy fucking saw it either. So, I mean, you know, I mean, I know you've seen it, but I haven't seen it yet. But I mean, so I'm saying, I mean, it's just whatever. Ridiculous. Oh well, if that's the case. I mean, it's a mixed bag. There's the Blind Side for Best Picture was a bit of a. That one is a stunner. Out of all the ones in Best Picture, that one and District. Well, District Nine, I'm not really surprised by because I actually watched it this week. It's pretty good, but. The blind side just kind of, I mean, literally, I just got blindsided by seeing that. <laughs> the, the funny thing with this is I thought that when they expanded it to 10, you'd get some more um, uh, creative or, or uh, outside-the-box films. But, you know, I mean, okay, you could make an argument for District 9, mm-hmm. but other than District 9, I mean, there's yeah. nothing really all that adventurous in terms of the nominations. What happened is exactly what I thought would happen is it's five, the five films that might have been best of the year, and then five more also rands. Yeah, five more also rands who made money, yeah. a higher profile. Yeah. 
Like Avatar? Come on, give me a fucking break. I, I can't believe uh, the awards this movie's up for. Like, this is making me hate it more. <laughs> and I liked it at the time. I gave it like a seven, seven and a half. And yeah, I'm trust me, I, it. I think it has something to do with the fact, you know, obviously James Cameron's made a lot of money for Hollywood well, and Fox. Yeah, he's good for that town. Yeah, and he's really good for the town. And I, I, I agree that they should celebrate that, but I don't really think, I mean, come on, please. No, I'm gonna fuck. I am a Cadillac. Do that. I mean, don't give them all the awards when people like. And as much as I had problems with, uh, uh, what's his name there? What's her name there? Bigelow's Hurt Locker. I'd much prefer she wins over the fucking Avatar. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, Jeez. let me get back into the actual show. What, what that, have you been watching? <laughs> uh, actually, I watched one of the best picture nominees there, but we'll get to that. In a minute. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I watched uh, Tyson, the James Toback Ooh. documentary. Uh, very interesting, all told from Tyson's perspective, so it's all very one-sided and stuff. But it's really kind of cool to see him talk about his uh, his life. And, uh, you know, you can see the maturity in him now, how he's changed and how he realizes the mistakes he's made and and some of the things he's done. And, you know, uh, people always, you know, make fun of him and stuff. And, you know, he's done some terrible things in his life. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, of course, the rape charge, I don't even want to get into that. That's a he said, she said type of thing. But he's done some terrible things in his life. He knows this. Uh but I, I like that it shows the perspective of maturity and how you know that you've made mistakes. I mean, look, look I could go on. I could go on the show. We have a forum here to speak to the public. Basically, I could say all kinds of mistakes I've made in my life. But I mean, of course, I'm not going to do it here. But yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not perfect either. Nobody is. And it was really interesting to see him. And I, I just forget watching his old fights. I forget about how dangerous at one point in time Mike Tyson was. Oh, yeah, he was, what do they call him, the baddest man on the planet. I mean, he was fucking rough. And what you find out in the movie is, is that he actually suffers from asthma, and then when, he would, when he'd go into a fight, he was actually scared to death because he was afraid he was going to lose his breath. So, he so tried, he'd end the fight quick? Yeah, he tried to end the fight as quick as possible so he could get out of there. <laughs> you know, he's an interesting character. We could probably spend a whole show talking about just some of the, the films that have covered him or referenced him or he's yeah. made cameos in. Um He's a really flawed person, obviously, as most people are. But I think it was such a contradiction because he had anxiety. And he wasn't a very aggressive person. Yeah. But um, what would happen is, and there's the phone on there. There's Mike Tyson calling in. Mike Tyson's Mike calling Tyson. in. Mike <laughs> Tyson. Uh, and that's my wife's friend. Uh, hang on. Let me see if she's going to get it. <laughs> Hello? Who than you? Live call in the air here. Oh, there's my wife. Okay, Tara, take care. <laughs> I'm keeping all of this in because it adds flavor to the show. Sorry about that. Uh, I just I didn't. I don't like having it ringing. You know, no, I understand. Understand. <laughs> Actually, my wife's right in the other room. She's behind me. I should have known she would have had the phone. Uh, but Tyson's interesting because you know they'd stop giving him his medication, so he'd go crazy. Mm-hmm. But he needed it to stay sane, and it was sort of that contradiction that made it sort of a tragically flawed situation for him. Yeah, he's very very interesting person. Uh, I watched uh, I watched Blood Creek, Large William, the Ooh, Joel Schumacher horror film. Your boy was it any good? Uh, it's 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 fun. It's not it's not a great movie. I'd probably give it like a six and a half or six point seven five. But it's a lot of fucking fun. <laughs> wow! It starts really slow though, and it's got our boy uh, Dominic Purcell in there. Uh, yeah. You know, so he has to. I don't. Yeah, yeah. He does have to take his shirt off. His shirt's off. I was going to say, does he get shirtless? <laughs> yes. His shirt is off. Uh, yes. It has some other actor in there, and then uh, it has uh, uh, Michael Fassbender in it. Oh, yes, that's an interesting choice for him to do. It really is, because I'm not giving anything away by saying this, because the cover of the movie is pretty much, it shows like a a Nazi zombie head on the DVD. Mm -hmm. This is Fassbender as a zombie. This is pretty crazy, man. (laughs) 
was this film made and then shelved for a few years? Is that, or was it like, do you know if it was actually made recently? Uh, it was made within the last couple of years, and I just think it didn't get a push. And uh, that's because I'm really kind of surprised it didn't get released at all because it looks like it's really low budget. It's very much a one location type of film. And I was actually turned on to this by one of our listeners. I can't remember who it is exactly off the top of my head, but if you know who you are. I think it was on Twitter. Uh, but uh, it's a fun movie. I, I don't know if, if you should actively pursue it, but I had a lot of fun with it, and it's nice and juicy. It's very gory. So, so Oh, wow. It's pretty fun. I, I liked it, man. Not epic, not great, but pretty good little horror film. Uh, very cool. Uh, and some Nazi stuff in there, too, so Nazi horror films. What do you say? I, didn't, I, only watched, I only watched four films this week, so outside of the two we watched for the thing. I watched uh, The Making of the Frighteners. This is a four-hour documentary. <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know why I watched it. I think it's just a situation where I didn't have anything else to watch, and so I started watching it, and I just watched the whole thing. I'd never seen it, and it's a good it's a good making of. I think Peter Jackson makes some of the best making of documentaries of any director. He really gives you everything. If there's anything in a movie you don't know how he did, he will tell you everything and how he did it. So I've never actually seen The Frighteners. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, it's it's a little Raimi-esque, so I don't know if you'll like it or not, but it's very Raimi-esque. Uh, that's what it always reminds me of. Uh, and of course, I watched I watched District Nine last night, actually, and I, I like District Nine a lot. I, I did. I don't know if it's going to be in my top ten or not, uh, mm-hmm. because I've seen so much stuff and I've seen District Nine so late. Yeah. Uh, if I would have saw this earlier, I think it would have been easily in my top ten. Like when we did the OTC show and everything, I had a lot of fun with it. It was very good. It's very impressive on what they made. I still think, I, 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 for me, I still think I like Moon more than I like District Nine as far as sci-fi goes. Yeah, me too. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it is, it is what it is, but I did like this film. Don't get me wrong. I, I did have a lot of fun with this film and I'm really looking forward to what Blomkamp's going to do because he's got a really great, uh, style to him that I really like. You really have to buy that cinema verite kind of realistic stuff and then it kind of just stops and it doesn't give you an explanation why it stops and then it just goes to a standard film and you really have to buy that. So... I don't yeah, think it's giving. Do. Anything, I don't think it's giving anything away. So no, no, it's not. And I'm also interested to see what uh, Charlotte Copley does. I know he's going to be, uh, I think, Murdoch in the new A-Team movie. Oh, I don't even want to talk. I don't even want to talk about the A-Team movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Fucking Bradley Cooper, man. I don't like that guy. But anyway, <laughs> all right. So that is what we've been watching, along with some Oscar talk this morning. So uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about. Uh, let's talk about Gone in sixty seconds first. Sound good? Let's do it. But give me a few extra minutes. I have to go kill a man for snubbing Il Devo at the Oscars. <laughs> All right, we'll be back right after this. Want to tell the world about that crappy big budget flick, or get people to buy that barely noticed book or CD that rocked your world? Can't quit talking about pop culture? Then become a blogger at one of the fastest growing review sites online. PopSyndicate.com is searching for people who want to blog about movies, DVDs, books, comics, anime, music, TV shows, and more. Check it all out at PopSyndicate.com and email the editor for details. PopSyndicate.com, your virtual pit stop for all things pop culture. Right. 
Okay, day four. Mostly documentaries, is it? Um, Drunk History, Top of the Bunch. Um, John C. Riley, Crispin Glover wear silly moustaches and wigs and reenact historical events while a very, very drunk person narrates, you know, good historical content, but very, very funny. Um, you know, I don't know where it's going to come out, but, you know, you might be able to catch it online at some point. I also caught the Taco Corps, which is about... Um, Muslim punk rockers now if you want to remain close minded and not learn about different cultures and, and you know young people's angst you know all about what punk rock is maybe this isn't the film for you but if you want to see a girl in a barca shaking white coconuts from a, the veiny love tree and then spitting those white coconuts into the face of a fundamentalist punk rock group then this is cert- certainly the one for you so I um, only caught the docs today so I'm on my way home ta-da okay lads you certainly got a treat for you in the next coming months and I've never used this word before because I've never found anything that, that uh, truly will benefit from the true meaning of the word but Michael Winterbottom's The Killer Inside Me with Casey Affleck my god this film's fucking awesome you know from the second from the millisecond from the like the iota when the credits started and the title sequence starts going you know you know that you're in the hands of a master and that you're gonna you're witnessing a classic uh, in the making so it was just truly incredible you know I loved every single second of it you know it's one of those ones that if it had been on full release I would have turned around and gone straight back in to watch it over again but unfortunately that wasn't the case but I'm not sure whether this is going to get a, a full release because of the, the subject matter and the, the violence the violence in it you know it's been it's been compared to Irreversible and Antichrist um, but yeah, yeah, yeah so when it comes out in DVD I'm certainly going to be studying this film frame for frame so that I can squeeze out every single last ounce of, of happiness and joy that this, that this film has got to give me for the uh, look in the future you know, just gorgeous 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 Casey Affleck man he knocks out of the park with this one you know um, I might be pushing the boat out a little but I did see see uh, a little bit of Paul Newman there so maybe maybe the next the next Newman but that's only my happy little opinion so I also saw a Hesher, which is the first feature of the guy that made that short, the zombie short about uh, I Love Sarah Jane, which was a, a good good while back, a couple of years ago. It's a nice morality tale about you know growing up and bullying and, and just loss and loneliness. Wonderful performance as well with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and the title character is Hesher. So you know it, 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 it's a whole lot better than my synopsis. So anyway, best day so far. Great day eight. Um, great documentary about Banksy, street artist, you know, with Shepard Ferry and you know just the history of that and how it all sort of went out of control. But really, really entertaining. Uh, great doco. Um, now this is a, a, an interesting one. It was a midnight show, and it was called The Violent Kind, 
by the Butcher Brothers. Now, I've never heard of the Butcher Brothers before, but uh, I was quite intrigued by the, the imagery. Now, this film starts off as a, as a biker film, and then it sort of turns into a, a demon film, and then it turns into like a gang fight film, and then it turns into a lot of other things. So it was it was very interesting. I, I enjoyed it, and I, I enjoyed the interpretation that I took from it, but I'm sure it's open to... A lot of interpretation. It really, it really reminded me of, of uh, uh, Lynch, uh, David Lynch film. So you know, it was called The Violent Kind, and I would be very interested when this, you know, gets released to to see what other people uh, took of it because the, the the screening was quite empty because it was a midnight show, and uh, a lot of people walked out because some of the some of the imagery was quite quite uh, graphic, but you know, uh, open to interpretation. So happy days. Okay, day nine. Shotgun Stories meets Chinatown. You got Winter's Bone. What can I say about this? I don't want to say too much because uh, I don't want spoilers, but you know, John Hawks puts in the performance of his career. Uh, happy days. So, move on. I went to see Boy, which was a New Zealand production, a comedy. It was directed by that fellow that did Eagle vs. Shark a couple of years back there. Um, you know, this film's just so full of heart. You know, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll mostly laugh. <laughs> Especially all the, the Michael Jackson stuff, you know, but it's 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 so cool, um, and you know you just you just leave the theater happy to be alive. So last day tomorrow, the old heart strings get tugged. <coughs> so woke up this morning with a terrible dose of Sundance-itis, you know. The only cure for this is some daylight. The thought of sitting in another darkened movie theater all day and all night just really does not appeal to me. I feel like I've let the side down. I only managed to, to fit in 31 this year. But, um, you know, the others that I missed will, will, will obviously be a DVD at some point, so so I don't feel that I've, that I've missed out too much. But So I'll give you my, my top three of the, the festival. So number one, Michael Winterbottom's The Killer Inside. Uh, you've only just heard my review a couple of seconds ago, so take that still at face value. Really, really good, really good one to look look out for. Uh, number two, Winter's Bone, which actually won the, the the screenplay award and the Grand Jury Award for Best Film. Now I think this is this is one film that actually deserves those accolades. Um, you know, in, in the last few years, the the, the films that have that have won the Grand Jury Prize, you know, just fall flat in their face and you never really hear hiding or hire them. But um, I've been thinking about this one all day and I keep mulling over this line in my head. So uh, John Hawke's character, uh, Teardrop, says to his wife, I've said shut up once already with my mouth, which resonates, you know, you can just um, sort of sums up a lot of the, the feel and the style of the film. So it's another one to look out for. Um, number three, it's the French Seven Days, um, you know, great. Uh, and then following up close behind, you've got Splice and Buried. So all in all, a uh, good old festival. Uh, I've got a nice, cool pint of Murphy's Stout waiting for me with a couple of shots of Glenlivet close behind. So after a week of coffee and fast food, um, Gonna have my beer, have my whiskey tonight, and then have a nice detox for the rest of the week. So, good gear, one and all. Ta-ra!
All right, that was the great Brian there with his uh, Sundance report. And let's just say that the killer inside me just went up to, like, number two on my most anticipated list for the rest of this year. Yeah, he, uh, um, unfortunately, I'd love to spend more time talking in each film he'd mentioned, but um, he covers a lot of great stuff there. I'm very jealous. And, yeah, the killer inside me, I just saw one still from it, Sammy, and it looked so perfectly lit and so perfectly framed. Yeah. And I was like, I'm sold. Well, Winterbottom is really good at that kind of stuff. His films are sometimes kind of sterile and kind of cold for me, but mm-hmm. that's okay. I, I'm, I like I, when he compared it to Irreversible. That was I was I was in. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. In, in like Flynn is that is that Irish? Is that an Irish thing? I don't know. Just <laughs> a little Brian. All right, so our first review of the evening or the morning here is going to be 1974's Gone in 60 Seconds, directed by one H. B. Halicki. Uh, give you a gentle plot here. Uh, insurance investigator Mandrian Pace and his team lead double lives as unstoppable car thieves. And we'll just leave it at that. Uh, okay, I picked this one. This one's actually been on our roadmap since way back in 2008. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about it a little bit. Okay, it's a film. Uh, you can hear me okay, I presume? I can hear you just fine. Perfect. Uh, this is a film, and I'm going to have to keep this short, unfortunately, Sammy, because... As we discussed off the air, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have to yeah. keep it short as short as I can. Uh, this is a film both of us had seen, both of us had loved, and, I, and the, the shame of this film is that a lot of people don't know about it. They think that there's only one gone in sixty seconds, mm-hmm. um, uh-huh. which is which is unfortunate. But most people listening to our show, I'm sure, will know that there's there's two. And this actually, no, there is only one. They're right. It would be this one. Yes. Um, so H. B. Hillicky is very interesting. He he was really a car guy, a car enthusiast. He made his money through buying and selling cars and real estate and whatnot. Um, but he really, this is a sort of a passion project of his because he wrote it, he directed it, he produced it, he starred in it as, as uh, Mandry and Pace. Um, you know, so it really was a passion project of his. And, and the interesting sort of thread between the two films I found this week was that they're both sort of ensemble crime films that aren't really the old white boys club because you get an African-American in each gang and you get a woman in each gang. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That sort of was interesting. Um, the film opens up with something that anyone who's a fan of Kill Bill will will recognize. Um, that's because uh, Mandrian Pace likes to keep about seven different colored pairs of, uh, of aviators or Ray-Bans on his dash. Yes, aviators made a lot of appearances this week on the GGTMC. They certainly did, and that's never a bad thing. Nope. Um, so I thought that was very cool and a nice little... You know, I, I, love, I love that opening shot, by the way. You can just really see the speed... Oh, yeah. And you can see the speed a lot in this film. Like, they oh, don't yeah. cheat on a lot of things here. Yeah, no sped-up cameras or anything. Nope. This is real no speed. No undercranking at all. Um, I love that, you know, Hilicki being such a car lover gives Eleanor her own credit. Uh-huh. The, the, the sort of star <laughs> billing starring Eleanor. Yeah, and what I also love about him is is, is he's, like, he's like to cars what, like, film nerds are to film in that... Like, you know, when you watch a Tarantino film or one of these other film geeks that make a movie, they mention these really obscure, uh, you know, films, and you gotta, you know, you gotta dig and dig and dig, and you love that little hunt. He's the same way with cars, because it would have been much easier just to put muscle cars all throughout this film, but he picks, like, you know, Rolls Royces, all these European cars, just cars you've never seen before. Although Eleanor is the star, you do see him walk through his garage at one point in time, and that's his personal collection, and you see all these different types of cars in there, and I really like that it wasn't the normal. Like, you know, it wasn't like a Burt Reynolds movie with, like, all those, you know, like, just hot rods. You know what I'm saying? 
Oh, absolutely. Because so many of those, because the muscle car dominated, and hey, let's face it, we all love muscle cars, but because the muscle car dominated, it's nice to see, like you said, that shift mm-hmm. into European cars and old cars and yep. stuff. So the true car aficionado, this is sort of a wet dream for them. Yes. Because um, some of these cars, I'm sure, were never on film again. Uh, yeah, I, there's some in here I saw that I never saw again, I can tell you that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about this film is, is I think it's great that Hilliki shows the craft of a carjacker. Like uh-huh. we're going to hear in a voicemail later on, you could see the tools, the how, um, the why, all that stuff is, it's really fascinating to see how they're able to do this stuff instead of the usual, get the two wires underneath and, and spark them together. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which is sort of a cinematic convention. Um, Speaking of my beloved Green Bay Packers, there's a Hall of Famer Willie Davis reference in this, which was kind of surprising, but a nice little Easter egg for me. Yeah, that kind of comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really does. Uh, and you know what else comes out of nowhere is, is the tiger in the back seat of one of the cars they're going to jack. <laughs> you know, I had forgotten all about that scene, and, <laughs> and yet here it is, I watch it, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is the movie where the tiger comes out of the car. I knew there yeah. was a movie I'd seen where somebody's trying to steal a car and a tiger, of all fucking things, comes out of the car. And I couldn't remember what movie it was, and it was this one because I haven't seen it in so many years. <laughs> oh, I know. It was pretty funny. Again, it, it comes back to one of those things. I think someone had a tiger, and they're like, how can we fit this in? You know, and it, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been on set that day. I, that, big, no. big animals like that make me I, I'm an animal lover, but an animal that big and powerful scares the shit out of me. I don't want to be anywhere near it if it isn't caged in. <laughs> Oh, I totally agree. Um, give me one here, sec here, Sammy. Hang yeah, on. No problem. He has to step away, uh, take care of some fatherly business, maybe? I don't know. We'll see. He's a busy man. They call him Madrian Big Willie. Big Willie Big Willie Pace, maybe. Hopefully he'll get a laugh out of hearing this one <laughs> when he listens to the show. <laughs> uh, because obviously I'm laughing myself. Uh, I don't really want to put silence in here, so I just want to keep talking because then I have to go back and edit it out, and it's such a pain in the ass. Hopefully, the show sounds good, guys. Uh, let us know if it does not because uh, I had to get a new laptop this week. The other one crashed. Boom. Done. Hard drive fried. Da 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 da. He's back. I think. Uh, sorry about that. It's okay. I just kind of filled the air, was making uh, some puns, some jokes, uh, singing a little bit, talking about the laptop <laughs> crashing. Nice. So you should be entertained by that when you listen back to the show. Yeah, I always like hearing what <laughs> little things when I'm gone. Um, I'm happy to see that full-length wine-colored suede jackets with sort of bantamweight boxing uh, championship belts over a sweater. I'm glad that look wasn't just. <laughs> For pimps, the Hilliki thought he could sort of take it for his own. Yeah, you could rock that look if you were a thief, evidently. I, I don't know, man. That uh, His wig in this movie, he looked like, you know who he reminded me of? Hilliki reminds me of a little bit. It's that actor, uh, Dennis Weaver, who was in uh, Duel, Stephen King's Duel. He was in I've never movie. seen Duel. Yeah, he's in some other movies as well. Uh, Stephen King's Duel. Stephen Spielberg's Duel, my bad. I knew what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Stephen King, I, don't know where, I was looking at my bookshelf. I guess I saw some Stephen King over there. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, he reminded me of that a little bit. You have to see Dennis Weaver to know. But, uh, yeah, he look, he reminded me of that. That wig he has at one point pretty cracks me up. But, yeah, I mean, he's they're all rocking some pretty uh, awesome outfits in this, man. <laughs> yeah, very much. It's at the height of the 70s. Now, the interesting thread that runs between both of these you just mentioned, beyond sort of the ensemble crime thing, 
is the fact that both uh, William Smith and H.G. Uh, or excuse me, H.B. Halicki decide to rock Carol Burnett's wig from Mama's Family. <laughs> now, I haven't talked about William Smith's wig yet, but trust me, I will. That wig... Oh, <laughs> Easily, that goes in the top five worst disguises in cinema history. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it makes Clark Kent just seem like, you know, a master of disguise. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one complaint I think about the film was I think Halicki tries a little bit too hard to be sort of the cool, wisecracking anti-hero. Yeah, yeah, and he's and he's a non-actor, and it kind of shows, and it kind of comes through as kind of forced. I think that's where that comes from. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think he was smart to have most of the stuff revolve around cars, so so the non-actors don't get exposed too much because I think yeah. they do a pretty good job all in all. Yeah, he was pretty smart. He did a lot. Of, he did the ultra low budget way of making a movie, which is shoot a bunch of stuff and then throw narration over top of it. Yeah, and apparently they worked with no script, but I just think that that's sort of my one complaint of the film is, other than a few moments, like, I love when he's taking a car from someone, uh, like, at the car wash in the film. I love how he dupes people. It's almost funny how smooth he is then, but the rest of the time, he's it's almost like he's trying too hard to be sort of the cool kind of anti-hero, and it doesn't quite work work as well as... Um, as uh, Barry, what's his name, from uh, Vanishing Point, or, or any of these car movies, with the exception of... Uh, Oh, Fonda, who's just kind of annoying and uh, pretty Mary Crazy Larry. But that's Fonda. I mean, he's good, but, you know. Anyway, I digress. Um, I've never seen so many cleaned, waxed cars outside of a car show as in Halicki's garage here. And you can bet he keeps them in that. He kept them in that state oh, yeah. mostly all the time. Yeah, they were beautiful. Yeah, they really were. Just You could see the sparkle. It was great. Uh-huh. Finally, at the one-hour mark in this film, we get a bonafide chase. Um there's been a few minor ones up until this point, but Halicki did. He put all his eggs one, in one basket. At about the one hour mark, this chase starts, and it doesn't stop until the end of the film. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff with the, this chase. I mean, uh, you get some opposite di- cars driving in opposite directions, narrow back alleys, sidewalks. Um, I mean, there's so many close calls at this point that it just becomes insane, and it almost becomes like the Grand Theft Auto series of games, whereas <laughs> you see more cop cars, more helicopters, more cop cars, more cop cars, more cop cars. It just, you know, and that um, that really gets accentuated or punctuated in what I think is the best shot moment of the film when I think they slowed it down just a touch, and you see Hillicky. It's one of those those roads, almost like in San Francisco, where it's like hill, hill, hill. Yeah, yeah, and and his car slowly coming over the hill and down into the valley, and then behind him, this just this sea of police cars following yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was a very cool moment in the film. Very visually, it sort of you understood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his strength was uh, as as a non-trained filmmaker, the guy shot action very well, and he kept oh, yeah. it all together. He told a story with action very well. Mm-hmm. He shot the car stuff very, very, very well. Yes. Um. Did you see that one cop in the jean jacket? He looks sort of like uh, Robert Carradine doing his best <laughs> Warren Beatty. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. It's interesting. <laughs> um, I have a few more notes. Uh, you get the on back, like, slow down sort of replay of the insane jump that he does. Yeah. And when he ramp- ramps off that overturned car. Yeah, I really like that a lot. I mean, again, that shows the raw talent. That's a bit of the, uh, you know, the Bonnie and Clyde slow-mo, the, you know, that kind of became, you know, Peck and Paul, all that stuff. This is around that same period of time. So, you know, I mean, uh, it's a nice influence stuff, but I like that. Uh, actually, in real life, he really hurt himself bad on that. He can press 10 vertebrae doing that stunt. Yes, and uh, never <laughs> walk the same again, they say. No, but you know what? I'm sure 
knowing what little I know about him, he wouldn't have changed a thing because he got the shot. Yeah, he did. It was a it was an awesome jump, but it was obviously a jump done by somebody who uh, didn't have a lot of experience jumping cars because it uh, they didn't build the ramp right. Because when you jump a car, you want it to land as much as possible on four wheels. You don't want it to land on the front <laughs> mm, because yes. when it comes down that back, it's going to really compress your body. So. Yeah, you, you can, want to even that out. Yeah, but. you can see Eleanor when she hits the ground. It's funny we're talking about a car. But when she hits the ground, uh, you can see that back end, everything. It just completely compresses. And it's in slow-mo, so you can see the whole frame of the car rocking and shaking. Yep. It's really, this looks painful. <laughs> it really does. Um, I only have one more note here for, for time-constraint reasons. But I'm really surprised that a car, a film as much about cars as this is, and as well as they shoot the cars... You get very few beefy engine roars and squealing of tires. The sound for the cars, for me, was almost non-existent. Like uh, Phil brings up later on in the show, the special edition almost has this Muzak kind of jazzy score, which is fine. It's not obnoxious, but you thought they would have emphasized more of the car noises as a a shifting of gears, the the RPMs flying up, that sort of a thing, and they don't. Right, right. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I've, I've heard that they, you know, they redid the whole soundtrack and that there was some original music in there, and uh, they had to take it out for other reasons and whatnot, and put this jazzy score in for the remaster and stuff. So some people, some purists, are pretty irritated by that. But that's what I've heard. I, I don't know for sure. I never saw the other version, so I would never know. I've always saw this version. So, all right. So is that all your notes there? Those are all my notes. All right. So, interestingly, the movie shot in and around L.A., but also around a little community of some friends of ours, uh, Long Beach. So, yeah, I, I thought about that. <laughs> so, it'd be interesting if uh, Miles was to watch this stuff, be able to point out some uh, some areas. Maybe they drove past Miles' house. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I just told everybody where Miles lives, but I guess it's no secret anyway. Uh, so, Halicki had total control, and you know he made up the stories he went, like you said, and stuff. And this movie went on to gross a lot of money. It uh, cost very little. They made it as they went. It was all very guerrilla style. And uh, it ended up making like 40-something million dollars, which in 1974 or whenever it was, that was a lot of money. And it almost all went to Halicki. Uh, I mean, it was all his idea. I mean, obviously, he paid people and stuff, but the majority of that money went to him. So, it was a very high return on investment for him. And... Uh, you know, it took him a long time to make another movie, uh, eight years. But, I mean, he didn't have any reason to make another movie. Uh, he he nope. got rich quick, real quick, and got real rich. And from what I understand, he was, you know, a true rebel in the movie business. This was still back in the day when people would actually travel around and show their prints. And if uh, people wouldn't give him the money, he would send somebody in to collect money. So, <laughs> nice. So we don't know what kind of people he was hanging out with. Maybe the same people who would distribute Deep Throat, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know. Uh, doing research for this film, one thing I did find that I did not know about was uh, the Dominic Cena who directed the remake was actually a cameraman on the film Junkman. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of interesting that he got a chance to you know redo Gone in 60 Seconds. And you know the remake's not great. I know it's not good. Uh, I enjoy it for what it is. It's not a good. Fi- it's not a film I watch over and over and over again. I've only seen it once. I enjoyed it for what it was. It could have been better. Uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you know, I, I, the only saddest thing about the remake to me is it has so much potential to be a great remake. Because of what all we can do with cars, but the problem is, is that the you know we can do all this great stuff with cars, but they decided to go the CG route, and uh, you know I wanted to smack somebody because you know come on, I when I see a car movie, I want to see real cars. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see fake jumps. I want to see real dangerous jumps. I mean that's what you go to. That's what you watch a car movie for. Yeah, we, we watch it for stunts, and uh, there's some really great stunts in this. That part where he hits the telephone pole. Oh yeah, that's a miracle he's not dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really seriously. 
it took a lot of guts to make this. Again, the narration over the uh, the shot scenes is it's very low budget, but very uh, very interesting. Uh, I loved Eleanor, of course, even though it's not my favorite model of car. Uh, she she is a standout in the film, and she really becomes she really becomes the movie more than Halicki himself does. Probably the only other uh, real note I have is that you know, in a twist of kind of morbid irony, is you know Halicki, you know he ended up being killed. He only made three films, and we could have probably done these as a GGTMC, it's like a trilogy type thing. Uh, and I know that we're talking about doing the Junk Man because you actually brought that up, so we might actually do the Junk Man at some point in time. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, he was killed uh, while making the sequel to Gone in sixty seconds. But it, it was really weird because it was only it was during a setup sequence for a stunt. A lot of people say that he was killed while doing a stunt. But actually, they were setting something up, and something fell, and then and this is the twist of Morbid Irony, and actually, like a telephone pole fell on top of him. And, yeah, I heard about that, and, and pretty that's... pretty much killed him instantly. So again, that the irony comes from the fact that first he wasn't even doing a stunt; he was setting up a stunt, and second that you know he he didn't win his battle with the telephone pole in, in round two. Round two got him. So you're yeah, it, you're right. It's funny how that worked, and it's sad. Um... It is sad because I think there was there's a few there was a future great filmmaker here. Yeah, and not yeah. not maybe not you know maybe not uh, you know like a Michael Winterbottom or somebody like we just talked about, but but certainly a very interesting filmmaker that could have happened. You know, I mean, we we could have had some really really good car movies. Yeah, we could have. Uh, yeah, it's it's it really is a shame. I mean, you know, it's sad he was young. I think he was about forty nine years old. It's. Uh, yeah. Fuck, it's awful, man. It is awful. And so, you know, it is a shame that, you know, he's no longer with us. But he did give us three films. And, uh, again, uh, we need to check those out. We need to check out uh, the other two at some point in time. I'm sure we'll get around to them. Oh, yeah. And and I keep forgetting what I was going to say, but it just goes to show you how hard it is to do stunts and how deadly serious. And even with a little bit of luck you have to have sometimes on your side. Um, you know, I think we, we take that for granted a lot in films. Um the upside is there's more safety with CGI, but the downside is, you know, the craft isn't what it used to be. But it's it's yeah, you yeah. think we certainly stunt many to get more respect. Yeah, well they do. I mean, you know, they can prepare as much as possible, but the inevitable can't happen. I mean, all you gotta do is watch the end of a Jackie Chan movie. You guys know. I mean, he plans yeah. and plans and plans, and it doesn't matter. He seems to no matter what, he seems to get hurt, and that's really because you know human bodies aren't supposed to jump off bridge pylons onto onto hovercrafts. They're just not supposed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> So true. My that's friend. not the, that's not the way we're designed. But you know, some people in their brain, like Jackie Chan, you know, he just sees an opportunity and he does it and he plans. But you know, the ankle doesn't plan for him. So, no. <laughs> all right. So that's uh, my thoughts. I'm trying to keep it short on my end so we can uh, get to the next review here. So go ahead and give me your MVTs and make or breaks. Well, make or break. Uh, it's it's the last thirty minutes of the film. Like yep. I said, Halicki put all his eggs in one basket here. Mm-hmm. Um, it works very well. It yep. you know shows him off, shows the car off. Um, Really good stuff, large scale uh, yep. chase, good stuff. I wouldn't say it's the best chase I've ever seen, but in terms of volume, it's it's right up there. Um, MVT was originally the cars, and then as we got talking, I thought about how much this is a passion project for Aliki, and I'm sure he'd be fine with saying the cars because he wanted to feature them as the centerpiece. But I'm going to go with Aliki because he wrote okay. it, directed it, produced it, starred in it, did some of the stunts. I mean, this is really all about Halecki's blood, sweat, tears, and greenbacks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with him. And my score for the film, I'm going to say a 6.75. Oh, that seems low. Um, I'm going to say a 7. Um, okay. I think the first hour of the film is pretty slow. It's not dreadfully or painfully slow, but, you know, uh, maybe I'll say it even a 7.25. Um, but 
you know, it really starts to to rev up uh, and redline in the right. last half hour of the film. So nice, nice. 7.25. I like to use redline as a metaphor there. That's awesome. Like a car, <laughs> redline's like the tack. Put that thing down in the red. <laughs> All right, uh, my make or break is also the chase and the car stunts. I mean, how can it not be? That's what this film is all about. My MVT, I'm going to go with a dual MVT, and it's going to be Halicki and Eleanor. Uh, the car is just so it's so much a signature part of this movie at this point. It's almost like the vanishing point, the Challenger. It's almost you know, yeah. this is a time when the cars were as important as the actors. And uh, of course, you know, we still have that occasionally. We still get that occasionally with uh, automobiles or spaceships or anything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I really loved Eleanor, even though that's not my favorite model. I think it's a Mustang. Yeah, it was a 71 with a 73 grill. Yeah, not a, not a big fan of that model, but uh, love Eleanor either way. And yeah. My score for the film is actually a 7 out of 10, so I think you were pretty spot on with your 7, your original, when you went 6.75 to 7. But 7.25, I could lean that way too, but I'm going to stick with a 7. I think it's very solid, uh, good time. It's not a great film, but it's a first-time film, so I don't expect it to be you know, brilliant. But it is really good. You know what? I'm going to drop it down to a seven, Sammy. I've been back and forth on this thing. Let's let's uh, let's let me shift gears here. <laughs> oh, there we go. Just, just dropping metaphors, man, like Casey Kasem or some shit. You know? Yeah, no kidding, man. I'm going to stick with you. I think a seven's a fair score for this film. Sounds good to me. So, that is our thoughts on Gone in sixty seconds. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about another movie with a number in the title. Uh, Andy Sedaris's Savano Seven. So we'll be back right after this. Hello, are you looking for reviews of the minute details of fine cinema? What does that mean, Daddy? Are you looking for knowledgeable discussions of directorial decisions? We don't do that. Are you looking for profound and deeply insightful critique of film as an art form? Dad, I don't even know what you're talking about. Then hello, everyone. I'm Dr. J, and this is my daughter. Hey, And we're here to bring you family movie night. No, we don't offer you all that, but what we will offer is movie reviews that will help you to make viewing choices for what to watch with your children, nephews and nieces, or the kid down the street you have to babysit for the weekend. Are you tired of endless reruns of Hannah Montana? Hey, I like Hannah Montana. Then join us for Family Movie Night. You can find us on iTunes or at our website, www.fmnpodcast.com. Bye! Hello, gentlemen. This is Dr. J and my daughter. KK! And it's been a while since we talked to you, but we have finished watching... What movie did we see? Tommy Tricker. Tommy Tricker and what? The Stamp Traveler. Very good. And KK wanted to call in her mini-review for The Gentleman. Seeing as how this is a kid's movie, she thought she'd let you know what it, how it appealed to today's kids. So, KK... Why don't you tell them what your favorite things in the movie were? I liked the koala bear. You liked the koala bear better than everything else? Yes. Were there any scenes or anything you found exciting or happy? I liked whenever um the car, the letter wasn't on the dragon, like you pointed out in the movie. Whenever they were flying the dragon in the air. Yeah, there was a little, little problem there. Sometimes the tail had the... Letter attached to it, and sometimes not the it, beard. Sometimes it, or the beard had the letter attached to it, and sometimes the beard didn't seem to have anything attached to it. But 
What about the the events of the movie itself, though? I know that Will and Samurai really liked how imaginative this movie was and how yeah. how it, it led you to kind of believe in a lot of, of neat fantasy and adventure. Did you, you feel the same way? Yeah. What did you think of the special effects? They were good. Not was, super good, but good. But it was pretty cool how he turned into a yeah, stamp. That was weird. And At the end, whenever the red horse was there, it was weird. <laughs> when the red horse was chasing after him? Yeah. What else were the highlights of this movie for you? Um, I just, I liked it. How about all the traveling around the world, seeing the kids in China? That was really cool. And Australia? Was there anything you didn't like about the movie? I didn't like his sister postcard. You didn't like like, postcard? Yeah. I thought we decided you were going to cut your hair short and wear a big bow in your head and wear petticoats and dresses. No. Not your style of outfit. You didn't like her as a person or you didn't like the way she dressed? I didn't like her as a person. She got annoying. Okay, but, but the boy, Ralphie, didn't get annoying? They were both... Really annoying. Yeah. What did you think of the acting in this movie? Yeah. I don't think it was super good. Okay. Well, the kids had a a rough time with kind of conveying any kind of of real acting ability or or holding a scene very well. Um, So we're in the gentleman's corner, so we're going to grade this gentleman's style. First, can you give us your make or break scene in the movie? Um, the movie that made the movie for you or broke it for you? Or the scene that made the movie for you or broke the movie for you? There wasn't a real scene exactly. It's just I based it on the whole movie. So there was nothing in there that stood out to you as the most important scene in the movie? Yeah, nothing really. When he first turned into a stamp traveler or nope. the whole scene where you found out about uh, Tommy Tricker's background at his home, why he no. was the way he was. No. No real good scenes for you. Okay. Well, what's your most important thing in the movie? That he was traveling. That he was traveling? Yeah. He has to move to be able to do be a stamp traveler. So the thing that was most important in the movie for you was the different locations, seeing the different places around the world? Yes. Okay. I could buy that. And what is your grade for this movie? Now, they score it on a scale of 1 to 10, and you can use half points and quarter points. Okay. What about eighth points? <laughs> you can use oh, an eighth wow. point, I guess, if you want. I've never heard them do that, but you could set a trend. <laughs> um, Eight and one-eighth of a point. Eight and one-eighth of a point. Okay. Just the acting. So on a family movie night... Grade school grading scale, what is it? About maybe a C or a B minus. Okay, that that fits. That's about the same as your grade on both scales. So, the acting of the kids is what threw it off for you. Yeah. What about their accents? Did they talk funny? Yeah. So, do you have a problem with people talking Canadian? No. Okay, because that's good. Because Will's in Canada. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, it was a good movie. We enjoyed watching it, and there's our review and. We'll be back to you soon because we have other movies in the house that you've reviewed. So we'll be calling in with our reviews of them as we watch them.
Yes, we will. And for now, this is Dr. J and my daughter. Kay Kay. Saying bye. Bye. All right, we are back. A little, uh, going a little old school there with the Doc and Kay review. We hadn't had one in a while. I absolutely love it. I love it. I can't wait for the next one. Thank you, KK. Thank you, Doc. And yes. Sorry that the accents and the Canadian yes. uh, sartorial tastes uh, weren't up to your standards, I really, KK. I really just don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I do like that she enjoyed the movie. And she also set a new precedent for the Gentleman's Guide in the eighth and one-eighth score. So Yeah, I thought she was going to go lower, but I'm glad she enjoyed it. I was yeah. going to apologize that, that she thought it stunk, but thankfully she enjoyed it. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. All right, so let's get into our second review of the morning here. Let's do it. Uh, this is one I picked. I just found something very interesting. Sadar, another sort of bizarre thread between Haliki and Sadaris, the two directors. Um, actually, never mind. I thought, sorry. I thought I read that Sadaris <laughs> died in his 40s as well, but he didn't. Um, I picked this film, uh, Savano 7. It's available on Cinema DE Bizarre. Uh-huh. Uh, Andy Sadaris directed it. I don't want to spend too much time talking about a very interesting individual who basically uh, created Monday Night Football and, and won a lot of Emmys for his sports coverage and went on to direct a lot of titty action movies. Um, <laughs> That's the best way to put it, yes, titty action movies. <laughs> uh, uses a bit of a sort of Corman-type formula. Um, uh-huh. Yes. I picked this film starring the legendary William Smith. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think? Oh, boy, this movie. Uh, so let's uh, – just this out of fun, you know, I love uh, looking at Andy Sedaris' IMDb page because his alternate names, uh, some of them Andy and, of course, Dick Big Dickian is one of my favorites. There's <laughs> <laughs> a little crass there, Andy. But, uh, yeah, okay, so Sedaris is kind of interesting because it looks like, other than Stacy, which I've never seen, Stacy and her gangbusters, that's actually his first, well, actually the racing scene would be his first film, but I've never seen Stacy and her gangbusters. Uh, that was in 73, but this looks like the beginning of our Sadaris coverage because I do have plans to cover, you know, at some point down Malibu Express. I have hard ticket to Hawaii. Jay really wants us to cover Picasso Trigger. And you could really just go down the line here because they're really pretty much all gentlemen's guys type movies. <laughs> yeah, they're really in the wheelhouse of what we do. And I know there's an awesome scene. I think it's in hard ticket to Hawaii where, uh, there's a scene on like a cliff and they're in a Jeep and someone shoots a bazooka from the Jeep. Something, you know, equally as ridiculous. Yeah, as ridiculous as the women in his movies became more big-breasted. Uh, because Yes. <laughs> eventually, yes. talking about guns. Jesus. <laughs> All right, so let's get into some coverage here. Uh, let's see my notes. These should be fun. Uh, I, I start watching the movie, and let's, let's, let's go ahead and throw out there first. This is, uh, this is not really readily available, so this print is pretty fuzzy. A little bit better than our Candy Tangerine Man coverage, which nobody would have heard anyway. But that cover, that that print was very rough. This one's a little bit better. Uh, I think being shot in Hawaii probably helps it a little bit. Sadar uh, uh, shot most of his movies in Hawaii, so uh, yeah, it, it makes it kind of it makes it kind of pop a little bit. But the dark scenes are still very dark and murky. And of course, you get the uh, what are they Bosnian subtitles? I had Bosnian subtitles. Yes, <laughs> yes, too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, but but I was able to make out. Martin the Man Cove within the first five minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, him of the, the major blowback. We don't talk about blowback hair a lot on the show. <laughs> but Martin Cove makes hair dryers scream. <laughs> yeah, he does, man. That, I mean, John Kreese swept the leg with many a hair dryer. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's looking pretty tough in this. Uh, he's not really in the movie prominently, which uh, is kind of a shame, but he is in it enough to be, you know, Martin Cove. And he's pretty great. And he rocks 
aviators like nobody's business. Talk about a guy that can rock some aviators. Yeah, he, he rocks some good aviators, I think, in Steel Justice as well. Yeah, he, he's made to wear aviators because he's got that sort of square jaw, cleft chin kind of. You're right, you're right. I was just thinking about that. One of my notes is, is that, you know, was Martin Cove born to wear aviators or were aviators designed for Martin Cove? Yes, or was he born wearing a pair of aviators, yes, which I mean, may have hurt a little bit. But, uh. <laughs> yes, it might have hurt somebody. Uh, either way, uh, yeah, uh, this uh, there's some interesting choices here. Uh, talking about inefficient hitmen, I don't know about you, but skateboarding with a crossbow is not exactly the most subtle way to knock somebody off. <laughs> oh, you mean the midget Steve Zahn with the handlebar mustache, whose na- name is Skateboard, I think. Um, yes, he, he's, he uses a crossbow on a skateboard and as much as it looks kind of cool in sort of a Powell Peralta kind of way, um, it's probably not the most efficient way. And he's dispatched with the end of the film in a rather obvious and practical way. Yes. That one would get rid of a skateboard riding hitman. I love the scene of the girl and the guy and he's like, do you hear something? (laughs) And then this guy's going to town on the skateboard coming down the street. And as soon as he says, do you hear something? They cut right to him going by and shooting the guy with a crossbow. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you would have heard that coming. I'm pretty sure. Skateboards yeah. on asphalt do make a noise. <laughs> <laughs> pretty fucking hilarious, man. Uh, the senator. That's the dude from Weekend at Bernie's, man. That's uh, old Terry Kaiser. No way. The guy that played Bernie. <laughs> Come on. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's Bernie himself. <laughs> oh, wow. Terry Kaiser himself, man. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, Andy Sidaris is definitely one of the great B filmmakers. I mean, his films are simple fun. They're not good films. They're not great films. Well, I'm not going to say they're not good films because I enjoy them, but they're not great films by any means. But they are true B movies. They are, you know, nude nude women, uh, beefcake dudes, uh, bad fashion in the sense of this one uh, in some ways. Uh, simple plot, violence. It's It's all very simple. Uh, you don't ask for anything more, but it's a perfect B-movie plot. Now, this isn't exactly one of his best, but this is fun because this has got a lot of great faces in it, not only with the great William Smith, who spends a lot of time walking around in white slacks. <laughs> uh, a la uh, John Travolta. Yes. And white slacks are always a bad idea. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you if you can pull those off, you are the man. And he pulls them off somehow. Yeah, he does. He is the man. I mean, he's Conan's dad. He's, well, I, he's, I wish we had more time to go over his... Everyone go to his Wikipedia page. He might be the coolest man ever. Yeah. And also, uh, yeah, it, not only does he pull off the white pants, he literally pulls them off a couple of times. <laughs> so <laughs> I expected a nice butt shot with some red Speedos from Mr. Smith because he loves to show off his body. The guy's, uh, he, you know, he's built like a tank. Yeah. Uh, for years, I always remember him uh, in uh, every. Is it any which way you can, or every which way but loose? Yeah, I think it was every which way you can. I think yeah, the sequel where they had that big fight and stuff, and he's running. And I love that scene with him and Clint Eastwood jogging together and talking and being friendly with each other before the fight. It's a fucking fantastic scene. That movie's not yep. so great, but that fucking scene is one of my favorite tough guy scenes. Those two guys, just two beefcake dudes, running, talking shit, you know, but being respectful of each other because that's what i like i like competition but i i like the respect of competition yes and they really pull that off i don't know why i jumped onto that scene but i was just thinking about that scene i love that scene so much uh but he is one of the you know toughest dudes in cinema i mean william smith is like you know this guy if if charles bronson was carved from a stone then then william smith was carved from like an anvil yeah william smith might be the most macho man of all time, like honestly, I mean, he used to. Me and Zom were talking about this. He used to routinely beat Arnold on the set of Conan in arm wrestling matches. Yeah, he's one of the strongest dudes, and he's not. 
he's built. He's very he's very cut and very strong, but he's not like a bodybuilder. But he is fucking just he's just like this he's like this sinewy mass of muscle. And yeah. there's there's like no fat on the dude. No. And you know, I, I can just see him as being this real rough guy that like bends steel bars for no reason. Like, hey, watch this. You know, yeah. starts starts tearing nickels and stuff. You know, like, hey, watch this. Yeah, I try to do my impression of his voice, but it's really hard to do because he's got a really deep voice, real gravelly, and it's gotten even more gravelly as he's gotten older. And it's really hard to do an impersonation of him. Yeah, <laughs> really hard. Hey, man, how you doing? I don't. It's even like a cross between <laughs> Macho Man Charles Bronson and Christian Bale's Batman, and Randy Spears in there too. And Randy Spears, yes. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, all I want to say is I got one. There's many a quote I could have stolen from this movie, but I had one that I wanted to throw your way. Just remember, William, always trust the butterfly. Uh, <laughs> and you really have to see the movie to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> just trust the butterfly. <laughs> so uh, I was wondering, you know, because they do one scene where they meet up at an Orange Julius. Does Canada have Orange Julius? We do, and I was going to mention that I didn't, but I didn't know hitmen conducted business at Orange Julius's. <laughs> Me either. I that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> There's an Orange Julius at the the mall near my house, actually. There, Sammy. <laughs> nice, nice. Orange Julius. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> can't help but laugh, man. Just crack me up. Uh, I like the also the joke. Uh, what do you get when you cross an onion and a donkey? Uh, you oh know, yeah, a piece, <laughs> a piece, a piece of, of ass, ass that'll, that'll make you cry for days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's that kind of a movie, folks. <laughs> was that the professor that said that joke, or was uh, it the cowboy? I can't remember who it was. I want you to look up the cowboy's name. I do know the cowboy now. He was in North Dallas 40. He was in some other movies. Look up his name, and please try to pronounce his name for me. Jesus, Gweech Kook. <laughs> He's got, like, this, like, Hungarian sort of name. And, oh, he did um, American Ninja. He was Colonel Hickox in yeah. American Ninja. He was in North Dallas 40, played Eddie Rand. He was in Piranha. Also Trigger. He was in Piranha. He's in the Sugarland Express. He, the guy's been in some movies. I knew I'd seen him before. Oh, look at this. A TV show called The Mysterious Island of Beautiful Women. How have I not heard of this show before? <laughs> he's on Jesus. Airwolf. He's on Lewis and Clark. Uh, he's a lot of TV shows. Carter County. That might have been where I saw him from when I was growing up. Carter County. Was Walker, a Texas show. Ranger, two episodes. <laughs> yeah. He's a sixth-generation Texan, but uh, if that's the case, why the hell does mom and dad name him Gweech? <laughs> yeah, Gweech Cook. Oh, no, I see. His first real name is William, and for some reason he goes by Gweech. I guess he was a fan of Hungarian poetry growing up. <laughs> but, yeah, he's interesting. Uh, he's interesting in the film. There's also Art Matrano. Art Matrano plays Kinsella, the bad saxophone player. Art Matrano would go on to be, like, the police sergeant in, like, Police Academy 2 and 3. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing, this film has a lot of very cool ties. It has Ed Parker, who was Elvis's bodyguard, and Jeff Speakman's Kenpo instructor. Fuck yes, I saw Ed Parker, buddy. I knew who Ed Parker was immediately with that peppery, uh, salt Prince and pepper hair. Yeah. <laughs> it's got Parker. Reggie Nalder, who's been in everything. Um. Oh, they got some great character names. Lenny Montana's in here. That's a real actor's name. Lu no Luca Brazzi. Yeah. Uh, you got Reggie Nalder playing the hermit, who has to be one of the most ugly people. They were right when they said they cast him. He's really ugly. He is hideous. Yes, he had some sort of mysterious accident uh, that <laughs> scarred him up pretty good. That's yes. what I was reading. Yeah, scarred him up pretty good, but he was a hideous man. Uh, got his nice comeuppance in this film. Yes, he did. Uh, this is good. You know, a lot of these people that... Uh, Sidaris would work with again because he likes to work with the same people over and over again. Uh, not the, this is probably one of the most diverse. After this, he pretty much gets into his his normal cast of characters. Uh, with uh, I think Donna Spears is one of his favorites. Uh, she's a Playboy uh, Playboy playmate. 
And, of course, Eric Estrada pops up in a few, which, you know, I can't wait to talk about. <laughs> the Estrada. And Barbara Lee's in this, and she's smoking hot. Uh, yes, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Almost as hot as Martin Cove. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but the boom mics show up often at the top, the bottom, and the side of the screen. <laughs> yeah, it was like they were going to take the Dolomite formula and turn it up, man. Fuck, man. Usually the usually the boom mic shows up on top. This boom mic kept showing up all over the place, man. It was like a vibrator. <laughs> Some dude tripped over it, man. <laughs> the boom mic just kept showing up. I was like, Jesus, put yeah, the boom mic away. Uh, yeah, man, but. There's just some great stuff in here. You know, you get the Ed Parker, the uh, great uh, Ed Parker with his uh, throwing dummies out the windows, one of Sammy's favorites. Yeah, you, yeah, I, I knew he, one of us was going to mention that. Yeah, you get a samurai sword in here as well, uh, which he takes care of in the best Indiana Jones type fashion. And this precedes Indiana Jones. I happen to think that Spielberg must have seen this or Lucas <laughs> must have seen this because it's possible. this, this uh, is the precursor to Indiana Jones with the pistol. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But man, that whole story about uh, about Harrison Ford having diarrhea that day, I call bullshit now after seeing this. <laughs> or, well, Harrison Ford called some kind of shit that day. Yeah. <laughs> but it yeah. was it was pretty fun. And the guy that played TK, I remember him. Uh, he was actually in uh, Cleopatra Jones. Uh, was he? Who yeah, was he, he played a character named, uh, oh, let me look it up. Oh, yeah, Snake. Snake. Oh, he buddy. was Snake in Cleopatra Jones. He's in. He was in Hitman. I don't remember him in that. The Bernie Keys film. He was in Darktown Strutters, Sheba Baby. Yeah, he's been in some stuff. Jesus, up in smoke. He's been in some cool stuff. Yeah, but he kind of just after this, he kind of disappeared. So, yeah. don't know what happened. I don't know if he's still alive or not. Christopher Joy is his name. I don't know what happened to him. He just kind of yeah. disappeared. Maybe he's managing an Orange Julius somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> that was him. He met up in the Orange Julius. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> And Sedaris, you know, he's a little heavy-handed in spots. You know, of course, whenever the black hit man is doing something, we get some soul funk music. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit of mistakes. But, hey, you know, it's Sandy Sedaris. He's not the world's greatest filmmaker. But I had a lot of fun with this movie. This movie isn't great, but it is fucking fun. I mean, it is camp out the ass. You even managed somehow to get William Smith around drag racing cars again. I don't know how they managed to do that. And somehow they managed to get him around drag racing cars. And I only think of that because I think of the Cronenberg film, Fast Company, where he played a drag racer. And here he is around drag racing cars again. It's just, it's amazing to me. And uh, I really like it. The only thing I really wish, I really wish there had been more William Smith. I felt like he was kind of just like the, the, the corraller of the hitman yeah. of the Magnificent Seven, so to speak. Yeah, the Dirty Seven or whatever. Yeah, no, you're right. I think that's pretty, a pretty fair. Um, I mean, I think it works good in one way, but Sidaris isn't good enough to handle it. And one of the things I like is that all these experts were perceived as good or, or, Smith respected their skill as professionals, so there was no babysitting. Everyone did their own thing, had their own assignment, and they did it, which was good. But like you said, it left it marginalized Smith a little too much. Yeah, it left a little something to be desired, and that they had to they had to had they had to pay off every hitman. Yeah, you know, with with a scene of their own. So exactly, it kind of leaves William Smith kind of hung out to dry. He's just really walking around with tank tops and white pants, and uh, you know he is. He is the cool man. Talk about somebody who needs to be called the Gooch, the Geech, or whatever. You know, he's, yeah. When you show up to his house, you know he's got topless women walking around. He's got a sauna. He's you know he just he doesn't waste any time. So he's got it all, man. <laughs> I mean that's a bat cave. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. So those are my thoughts on uh, Savano Seven. I didn't really talk a lot about the story, but I think with a film like this, story doesn't matter. It's basically just a magnificent seven kind of take. Uh, yeah. But you see the beginnings of uh, the kind of unique genius that was Andy Sidaris in this film. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you said those were all your notes? Yeah, those are all my notes. 
Okay, I just got a couple more here. Oh, a few more. Uh, I liked it. It was an interesting sort of small touch, but sort of typewriter credits to open and close the film. Kind of an interesting choice. Yeah, it is. Uh, that's where the transfer really hurts, though. I mean, you can barely yeah. read those. Uh, you only know because they're talking about characters. It's kind of a shame. I like it. It's just uh, I think they got a little bit of that from, like, All the President's Men, maybe. Sidaris might get yeah. a little bit from there. But, yeah, man, it's so fuzzy you could barely read it. I can only make out the name sometimes. No, you're right. Um, this film, it's interesting because much like the last film, um, but this one's more bookends as opposed to just the back end. It starts off great and it closes great, but the middle's a bit of a slog to get through because <laughs> three minutes in, we get a flaming spear to the chest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, and then the skateboard crossbow thing and then a political assassination on a skateboard and stuff. And, you know, it, it, it starts off. I'm like, if this can keep this up, this is going to rival uh, the stabilizer. Oh, yeah. So ridiculous in like the first five to ten minutes. Oh, yeah. I mean, and then they introduce the cowboy, and dude's wearing the Arby's cowboy hat. It's so big. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I mean, William, William Smith, he's walking around. Man. William Smith's walking around just drinking like a red striped beer. I mean, just, you yeah. know, I don't even know where he pulled that beer from. He just had it in his hand. Yeah, I know, man. <laughs> it wasn't fitting in the back pocket of those white pants, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely tell. Like David Carradine, we can tell that William Smith is definitely a man among amongst men when this movie. <laughs> Yeah, totally, man. Totally. Um, we knew that the Cowboys medal from the quote-unquote 64 championship was going to pay off at some point. Yes, we did. They set that up. <laughs> they set that one up. Um, I love, as always with ensemble men on mission films, I love the little introductions and showing off their skills. And <laughs> I always love that with, with these ensemble films. But I like that they took it a step further and they profiled the criminals or um, the uh, projects or the... Um, the contracts that that Savano Seven were assigned to, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a really, really good movie here. It's just it's done by an inexperienced filmmaker, and I think the editing is kind of jacked up, and the writing is pretty jacked up. But yeah, there's a really, really good movie here because you know you got a bunch of hitmen and a bunch of bad guys, and you know you put a bunch of tough guys in. I mean, this like the Expendables could be this movie now. Yeah, it Even, could be if it's if it, if it stays the course. Yeah, if it could, yeah, so we'll see. I do want to say, as much as the writing was very mediocre, there was two great lines in this film. It's one, when uh, they're introducing Ed Parker's character, and he says he works four hours a day at the one art he doesn't need, because he talked about how he's an art thief. Yeah. It says he works four hours a day on the one art he doesn't need to steal. Karate. <laughs> yes, karate. I love that. <laughs> Ed Parker, uh, yeah, I, I, I still laugh every time I see him, because I think about all those uh, archive videos of him and Elvis Presley. Gee, our Ed Parker looks like he should be like uh, like an Igor in a film. He just he just bizarre look to him. Yes. Um, I think that you know I I'm pretty confident in saying that large Hawaiian gas attendants shouldn't sh- wear white paint on jean shorts. <laughs> Not a good look. Oh, that guy, I man. <laughs> just because William Smith can pull off white slacks doesn't mean this 300 pound uh, you know bowling ball of an offensive lineman can wear the white shorts. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yes, and, Hawaiian men love to eat, man. Oh, they do, man. And I'll tell you why. You know who's actually from Hawaiian? is our good friend Aaron. So, Oh, you really? Got this film. Yeah, Aaron's Hawaiian. Oh, I didn't know um, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why did Reggie Nalder sound like Zsa Zsa Gabor? Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, why yeah. did he? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> Looking for his pussycat. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of Pussycat, there was a lot of breasts in this film, which is a good formula for a, a yeah, this B movie. Yeah, uh, this is what I like to call, uh, what would I call it, BBI, before breast implants. This is uh, actual breast as opposed to implanted breast. 
Yeah, amen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Luca Brazzi has a nice line in this film where he says to, when they're sort of getting all the criminals together, wear your deck shoes, boys, there's going to be a lot of blood on the floor. Yeah. I like that. Kind of a badass line. Lenny you know, this image of blood just sort of spilling into the room. Yeah, uh, I'd like for my name to be Lenny Montana. I need to change my name to something like that. Yeah, no kidding. Sammy man. Montana. That's what I'm going to start calling myself. Porn star name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> need yes. to keep a closely cropped goatee after that one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just got a couple more notes. There's a it's sort of a funny moment when, uh, speaking of the butterfly, um, when uh, the trust, with, trust the butterfly will. <laughs> well, the butterfly trusted that his t shirt wasn't a target and that it was pop art. <laughs> I didn't bring that scene up because it's easily one of the most ridiculous scenes in the whole movie. <laughs> I love it. We get death on surfboard from like uh, you know with a sniper rifle. It's fantastic. And they get him to wear a bullseye so the sniper can see him. He's more easily. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really funny. And just two more notes. I got. I love this. Actually, one more note. I love the squibs in this film near yeah. the back end. There's uh-huh. a great squib at the uh, at the the nightclub with Martin Cove, and then there's a great squib near the end with slow motion. Um, when uh, right at the end of the film, so there's some really good squibbing near the end, which is nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of good squib work. It's a very juicy movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh man, it definitely is. Um, but those are all my notes. I'll uh, get over to you. All right. Uh, so again, uh, the one note I forgot to mention here is my note is Smith is not capitalized letters a, ma- a master of disguise. <laughs> he is With not the Mama's family wig again. <laughs> He does look like Mama's from Mama's family. We're all walking around. <laughs> but I meant to say Vicky Lawrence, not Carol Burnett. Oh, yeah, yeah, Vicky Lawrence. There we go. <laughs> now, now. Uh, so he's walking around. My MVT or my make or break for this thing is um, uh, I'm going to make it the uh, the white pants. Uh, this is because they're just ridiculous watching him walk around in these things. There's so much stuff I can make make or break in this. Will I mean the guy on the skateboard, the fucking assassin on the skateboard, the Martin Cove, uh, just the, the guy on the surfboard. I mean, it's just ridiculous. There's so much stuff in here that just kind of appeals. I think to some of our listeners who love a good bad movie. Yeah, uh, I think they're really going to enjoy this thing. It's really ridiculous and it's a lot of fun. And Andy Sedaris, of course, never lets you down when it comes to this kind of stuff. He most of his movies are like this. They tried to be a little bit more realistic toward the end of his career, but they never really got super real. So, I can always see us having a lot of fun talking about Andy Sedaris cinema. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, my maker, my my MVT, I should say, is uh, is Mister Smith, and I think he's underused. Unfortunately, I could have went with facial hair because there's a lot of great mustaches in this movie. And yeah, there is a lot of good stuff going on, and a lot of great breast, a lot of great everything, uh, just everything that the gentlemen like. Uh, it's a bit of a piggish movie. I'm not going to lie, but it's piggish and fun. It's not. Uh, it's not done with ill will. It's you know kind of celebrates the beautiful women and big guns and big arms and and uh, <laughs> white pants and <laughs> everything. So it's 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 a celebration of uh, true midnight cinema to me. So I really enjoyed it. And with that being said, us talking about it and stuff making me laugh makes me want to go back and watch it again. So I'm actually going to jack my score up a half a point and give this a seven point five out of ten. Oh wow! Because I had so much fun just you know talking about it. This would this would have been a great movie. Like when we watched, me mean you watched uh, Rambo together. Yep. Up there in Canada, that was so we had so much fun. Uh, the movie's not good, but we laughed so much. Uh, and this is, would have been a great movie to like sit down and watch with you, uh, or we would have watched together. This would have been one of those great movies. We'd have had so much fun talking about it while we watched it. It's one of those kind of movies. So that's my thoughts on uh, Savannah Seven. Let's hear what you get to say. I, I agree, actually. I'll talk to you. I, I'll get to that. Well, my make or break is the first and last 20 minutes because, like I said, in between, it, get, it dries out a bit and a lot of 
plotting and scheming, but not much action. So, and let's face it, the dialogue is not enough to kind of sustain you for 50 minutes. Um, my MVT would have been Smith, but it was the sort of sleazier sort of Ocean's Ensemble. You get a couple of Playboy Playmates. <laughs> yeah. You get, you know, sort of the mixture of Ed Parker and the Arby's Cowboy and, and William Smith and everyone else and TK and, you know, uh, just the, and then the sort of criminal ensemble with the Cove and Reggie Nalder and stuff. Just the sleazy ensembles um, in this. It's almost like um, like Justice League and, and then the, I can't remember the bag, the... Uh, villains yeah. were but it's like a lot of great faces that's uh seems like yeah. he cast you know mostly faces so yeah no absolutely my score is a little lower than yours it's a 6.75 out of 10 okay but i have to say talking about it i think it would serve itself well or it served well by watching it with like-minded people who can sort of riff on some of the stuff like we've done because just based on this review people think wow this sounds amazing and it is pretty funny but you know bear in mind that the mid middle of the film is is a bit of a slog yeah, I didn't know Reggie Nalder was in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Nor did I. I know he did a lot of European horror, but I didn't know he was in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. That's interesting. I can't remember what he was in. Oh, was he? Did he wear sunglasses? No, let me see here. I don't know. He was in a few things. I mean, he's got a unique face, and you're right. You know, his mouth is scarred by burns and stuff. He's in Fellini's Casanova, actually, too. Oh, wow. So he's he's actually worked with, uh, you know, some of the greats, Argento, uh, Fellini, and Sidaris. And Sidaris. <laughs> nice. Oh, he's in The Manchurian Candidate? Yeah, I saw that too. I'll be damned. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Going through some of these guys, even like I say every time, you know, as much as I know about movies, I always find out something more while checking some stuff out. So, all right, so that is our review of Savano Seven. Uh, you can get that through uh, Cinema Day Bazaar. So go ahead and get it if it sounds like it's right up your alley, uh, as far as ridiculousness, or if it's if you're a Sadars fan and you haven't seen it yet, uh, make sure you check it out and find it any way yeah. you can. So, I think we'll take a break and come back with some feedback. Sound good to you? Yes, sir. All right, we'll be back right after this. Bill from outside the cinema. If you're hearing this, then you probably like podcasts. Logical. Flawlessly logical. Well, let me tell you. If you like horror movies, exploitation films, and underground and cult films, why not check out Outside the Cinema? You gotta tell them! www.outsidethecinema.com You're a smart motherfucker. Hey, man, I try. Everybody will enjoy that. Um, we got quite a bit of email, quite a bit of voicemail, so let's jump to it. Okay, let's do it. Uh, just so you know, you're very low on my end. <laughs> of course, because that's the way it would be. <laughs> so uh, I'm not being an ignorant. Uh, if I talk over you, it's simply because I cannot hear you all that well. Fantastic. There we go. Yeah, well, I had to yell that, so fantastic. <laughs> Your wife's going to be pleased with you this morning. Yes. She's going to love it. Fucking Jimmy Hart uh, megaphone podcast. Yes. Um, do you want me to mention this? Uh, mention what? Never mind. I'm spaced <laughs> out for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why I even fucking said that. I was about to read an email, and I just blurted something. See, that's how people get in trouble. 
<laughs> let's uh, let's kick into our our email here. Uh, the first one is from uh, our good friend Chris. He of the uncoolcat.blogspot.com blog, and uh, Chris's title is Mummy Exploitation. Uh, dear sirs, apologies if anyone's mentioned this, but Willie was asking if there were any Italian mummy gore films, and one immediately sprung to mind. Dawn of the Mummy is an American, Egyptian, and Italian co-production that tries to cash in on Dawn of the Dead only with mummies. It's pretty damn cheesy. Concerns a group of models going to Egypt to do a photo shoot, and they just have to defile a mummy's tomb in order to get the best magazine layout of all time. Of course. <laughs> Naturally. It <laughs> uh, turns out there are a few mummies, and if I remember correctly, they like to eat people, especially the <laughs> intestines. Why is it zombies always go for the intestines? Don't they know what's in there? Uh, Loaded with gore, nudity, and disco. I would highly recommend checking this one out. I'm going to stop this that email for a moment because I think that that's sort of the perfect trinity of a film. Gore, nudity, and disco. Yes. Very nice. Yes. Uh, he goes on to say, you can probably find it for $5 at Walmart, and this DVD comes with a great director's commentary. thought I'd chime in on Big Fan. I did enjoy it, but I did think Oswald's character was fairly hard to relate to. A lot of modern men, myself included, are more obsessed with frivolous things than generations before us. I don't know if it's because we grew up in a time where pop culture is seemingly everywhere, or if it's just men wanting to remain children as long as they can. It's not just sports, but movies, music, comics, action figures, etc. My expectation from Big Fan was that it would be an examination of our generation of man-children who have become obsessed over things that are just not that important, and what happens when the real, real world needs to take priority. However, I find Oswald's character so unstable and possibly mentally ill that I find myself not identifying with him at all. I should have. I obsess about movies, comics, and all manners of pop culture. Maybe there still is a great movie to be made about men's obsessiveness with small things distracting them from the bigger picture, but unfortunately, big fan isn't it. Sorry, I do hate when people complain that a perfectly fine movie isn't a masterpiece, but I do think if they hadn't made Oswald's character so crazy and kept the exact same plot, it could have been a classic. Loving the show. Alrighty, um, and you shared some thoughts about Big Fan at the beginning of the show, so I don't really need to talk about that. Mummies, why, why do why do zombies and mummies and cannibals always go for the intestines? Why, why there's a lot of protein okay. in the intestines? Okay. All right, all right, so it all makes sense a little bit. Yes, uh, I do want to thank Chris because him and I think someone in a voicemail mentions this movie. As soon as I got the email, I added it to my queue. And believe me, if this film is as splattery and trashy and disco bally as it sounds, it will be covered on the show. Nice. Um, do you want to read the next one or do you want me to? Yeah, you go ahead. I'm still messing around with sound levels and whatnot on this end. Still tinkering. Yes. Okay. The next one is from good friend of the show and great podcaster, Terry of Paleo Cinema Podcast. Um who, along with you know one of our other friends, Ian, does the almost impossible uh, and puts out a very fine one-man podcast. Uh, the title of the email is The Worst Accent. Hi, gents. Love the Hell in the Pacific Avant-Garde Japanese Drag Queen podcast. Quality as usual. <laughs> On the subject of worst accents, the worst of all was Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. A cringingly bad Cockney accent won. And the weird thing is that the bloody movie was filmed in England, too. How fucking hard would it have been to pick up the accent? Let me think. It was made in 1964. Half the fucking cinemas in the UK were showing carry-on movies at the time. All they had to do was listen to a couple of hours of Sid James leering at Barbara Windsor, and he'd have nailed it. Why not? Sid James himself had to pick up the accent. 
The old bastard was born in South Africa. His natural accent was closer to a weakest in District 9 than Michael Caine. So that's it. Dick Van Dyke's fucktarded chimney sweep Mary Poppins gets the gong for the worst accent ever on film. As for Lee Marvin, the man was a movie god. Any bloke who doesn't like Lee Marvin movies should be blocked in cinema, in a cinema, showing Mr. Marvin's flicks and force-fed amphetamines until he does like them. Uh, and then Terry sends us uh, something that we're going to be covering on the show in the way of a Trillo GGTMC. Nice. Um, uh, Ginger Films. <laughs> Very nice. Nice. Um, so, yeah, that's Terry. And, again, you can check out Terry. I think it's Paleo Cinema. Well, you know what? Just look for Paleo Cinema Podcast. Yes. Um, fantastic show. Fantastic show. And he does a lot of stuff, older stuff, hence the, the title of this thing. I think it's nothing post-1980. Um, I just actually going through some of his other back catalog and listened to the uh, the spy episode he did with uh, the Cooler Memorandum and Spy Came In From The Cold. And there's some great stuff in there. I, I added those films to my queue as well because I've never seen them. Nice. Nice, nice, uh, nice. Let's. You want me to keep reading? I'm just going to keep trying to say nice as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like all I've said. Uh, I can't even hear you say nice. <laughs> well, am, I, am I back now? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you could just uh, interject with a wicked yeah. every minute or so. Yeah, I'll try, I'll try um, the wicked. I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm going to start calling you Whisper. <laughs> Uh, Whisper, let me uh, keep reading the emails until you tell me otherwise, okay? Sounds good. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this one is from, fuck. It's from a uh, good friend, Zach. And Zach writes to us and he says, Hi, guys. You guys fucking rule. I love leaving the voicemails, but sometimes that segment gets so long. All the latest episodes are terrific. Keep fucking talking about movies, dudes. Awesome, Zach. Well, thanks for that, Zach. Uh, we appreciate it. And yes, uh, as we mentioned at the beginning, or no, we haven't mentioned it yet, have we? No, but we I will. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it here before in a the voicemail. Yeah, we'll talk about it here in a minute. But uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he. Sorry? Uh, the feedback section does get a little long in sections. So. Yeah. So uh, we'll be addressing that today. Speaking of solo podcasts, this might be my fucking podcast if we can't hear you this week, man. That's really weird that your dad picking me up every now and then, because it's picking me up fine on this end, but it's like, I disappear. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know. We'll see, but... Uh, I don't want to yell all morning, so... No. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, Mrs. Samurai. Would yes. not, you wouldn't be able to finish the podcast. She'd no. drag you out by your neck. Yeah. As would any spouse. Yes. Wants to sleep. Uh, next email is from our dear friend Brian. Brian's title is Nick Knack Paddywhack Constantine. Uh, fine, fine actor. If you're looking for some of his more serious roles, perhaps these may tickle your fancy. Stoned, true story of founder, Rolling, founder Rolling Stone, Brian Jones's death. PU239, our man Paddy gets exposed to radiation in Russia and with days to live steals some plutonium to sell on the black market. That sounds like, um... What's that, Panic in Needle Park, or uh, there's an Italian one with Sabato. It's like that. I've never seen that film. I've been meaning to see that one for a while. Yeah. Oh, gosh. What's that name of that Sabato one? I can't think of it. Uh, anyway, uh, The Backwoods. Gary Oldman and Patty take on Spanish kidnappers in the woods. Top-notch. Listen, if you can forgive it being shot on the Universal Backlot Trolley Tour. <laughs> My Zinc Bed. Alcoholic Patty goes up against Terrence Stamp. 
I do love me a bit of Constantine. Why is and he's got an, an awesome joke for us? <laughs> Why is Kenneth Branagh not popular at picnics? Because he always takes the biggest roles for himself. <laughs> Ta, Brian. Uh, well, thanks for that, Brian. I've actually never heard of any of those films. Um, I guess I should have done a little more research with Patty's back catalog back home. Yeah. Um, he, he's a fan. I think I first saw him in the Jim Sheridan film in America, I think. I saw, uh, uh, yeah, that's possible. And, of course, he's in uh, Cinderella Man as well. Oh, I see. I saw him in that as well, yes. Um, I think I've heard of Backwoods, but I have not seen Backwoods. I thought about checking it out just because I saw Gary Oldman was in there, and I knew that it was once called Backwoods, but once it was done, it was called Destroyed Rainforest. <laughs> because uh, Gary Oldman was in it, probably chewing down trees. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it became called Sahara. Yes, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because uh, yeah. there's trees around. It's going to be the tree or Oldman. I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, Oldman's going to win. He will. <laughs> um, is that the last email? No, there's oh. one more. Okay, actually, there's two more. All right. Uh, this is one. Actually, I just want to thank uh, Tom. He wrote us in. Well, something we were aware of, but I don't think we we had found all of them. And those are the most excellent Charles Bronson mandom ads <laughs> uh, from 1970s. Um, Nobuhiko Obayashi, uh, who directed House, who, uh, who's is getting a Criterion release, in case we haven't mentioned that. Fantastic stuff. Uh, he'd sent us this because he, he's sort of found uh, all of the, the uh, mandom ads on YouTube, and he sent us an, an excellent link. So, um, yeah. Good stuff. Thank you very much, Tom. I haven't seen all of them. I've only seen it. I might, I might put that in the show notes. I might try to put that in the show notes. Mm. Don't, don't delete that email. I might throw it in the show no, notes. No, no. That's a good call. Uh, okay, next one is from Shiftless, and Shiftless writes to say, Super Mario and Luigi. Hi, gents. Just watched Milano Calibro 9 with Mario Ador for the first time, and it was fantastic. I noticed Luigi Pastilli popped up in yet another great Italian movie in a co-starring role. I really like this actor, and I'm curious if he's ever had any starring roles outside of your vice as a locked room, and only I have the key. Enjoying the podcast, as always, shiftless. And uh, he says, P.S., I tip my hat to Ugo Piazza, which is an awesome hat tip to the movie itself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Luigi Pastilli, leading roles. Um, it's early, and I can't think of too many off the top of my head. I know he has uh, one of the central roles in, um, in The Great Silence. Yeah. Or one of the heavies, I guess. Yeah. There's, I think the whole fucking film is full of heavies. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything else. He's really, you know, he, he just has such a unique face and such an interesting face, and you see him in so much stuff. I remember Simba Diabolik used to bring him up all the time. Remember that? They'd, uh, they'd cover a movie, and they'd be like, oh, it's Luigi Pastilli, because he'd always pop up in these movies they covered. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say this. Um, you know, respectfully, uh, Shiftless, I didn't get a chance to go, and I wanted to look into this for you, but time constraints didn't enable me to if any of our listeners and i know there's a lot of them that are aficionados of italian cinema can mention some luigi pastilli starring roles that would be fantastic if no one does uh shifty or shiftless i guess i shouldn't have went with the short form that makes you sound like you're of questionable character um <laughs> as as um, i hello can you hear me Yes, Verizon, yes. Oh, Bill's going to have fun with this episode. He always loves the episodes where he hears you go, hello, I'm sorry. Yeah, good times. Yes, um, it's a great time. Uh, oh, yes, so I would just say that if you don't find anyone that calls in, 
as obvious as it sounds, go to IMDb with his name and just look for stuff that features him near the top of the uh, the roll call or the cast for films he's done. It may take you a while, but if you're that inquisitive in terms of what he's done, that he's sort of a lead-in, um, that would probably be a good way to do it. Yep. And those are all of our emails. Let's listen to some voicemail. And before we do that, do you want me to talk about this, or did you want to? Uh, go ahead. Okay. Well, we- hang on. All right, you can go now. <laughs> okay. Um, we all both love feedback. I obsessively check our voicemail, or excuse me, our our account uh, for emails and voicemails. We adore them. Um, however, um, we've been getting a lot of lengthy voicemails, and that's not to single anyone out this week, last week. This has been happening for a very long time. Now, we've also been guilty in the past when we've called into shows of leaving long voicemails. So we know it's difficult sometimes to summarize everything. And, you know, unfortunately, it's gotten to the point where because we work on a timeline, meaning we only have a given window where we can record before Rick has to start getting ready for work and I have to start watching my son, um, a lot of times the reviews are going to suffer because we don't have as much time to talk about the film. So uh, from this point forward, um, we're going to impose a new rule. Uh, three minutes or less for the voicemails. Um, I mean, if it's a few seconds over, we're not going to be Nazis and not play it. But if it's it's you know more than three minutes, we're not going to play them, guys, respectfully. And and we don't want to be douchey about that. It's just you know we get an hour and a half of feedback every week, and we want to be able to talk about what you just you know, mentioned. So if you send us a twelve-minute voicemail or a six-minute voicemail, and then we talk about it for two minutes, three minutes, we get a few of those. I mean that that adds up very quickly. So please, guys, keep them under three minutes. It would be greatly greatly appreciated take notes if you must we used to do that so yeah um, uh, there you go what i will say is uh if you do leave one and it is too long uh, we won't play it on the show but uh, i will we will address it but uh if you do feel like you got a lot to say we do listen to all the voicemails so if you if you do want to call in and talk to us for five to ten minutes on a voicemail that's fine but it's just i'm just not gonna play it on the show so yeah that's a good point that's actually a good compromise sammy that we'll still address what you've said but we won't play the voicemail itself yeah because i don't think uh people like having an hour and a half feedback i don't i don't think they do but maybe maybe our listeners do i don't know yeah i mean listen like i said we love love the feedback it's it's just the sort of fuel for us to keep going when people you know write in and call in but um, i mean unless it's something like um and again i don't want to single anyone out but like brian was at sundance giving us mini reviews that's a little bit different in a sense uh-huh. Um, I don't want to split hairs, but well, he's kind of doing something for us in that regard. But yeah, you know, just do your best, guys. That's all we're asking. Yeah, we just don't want to censor people. We want everybody to be on the show, so that's that's why the three minute rule. If everybody can leave one around three minutes, then everybody can be on the show. Yes. All right. That being said, let's get going with this infamous voicemailer. Well, Mrs. Mandibles got the shits, hasn't she? Because I put the number. <laughs> For um, Big Samurai and the Willy <laughs> on her dressing room um, table mirror in lipstick. Not a good idea. At least I can see it when I feel like ringing. And I'm in the habit now ringing in the middle of the show. Like, so I'm listening right now to your show, and you've just got to the part about how great Mifuni is, and it's all part of, like, he's not acting. Well, he's a screen presence. And I reckon if you met him for a beer, he'd be like, awesomely present but how you doing yeah oh have a good day like normal anyhow the reason i rang 
is this is more scannable from the HUD mutt. And it's funny because I just watched Funny Games, you know, the Michael Haneke um, movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting the way that they handle the fourth wall. It's interesting the way that they're just two little fucking cunts and you want to kill them. <laughs> but what's even more interesting, not to mention the fact that just before I watched that, I watched Cape Fear, and I now know which is the better movie. <laughs> and it's not uh, Scorsese's. It's just... It just gets to the heart of the human condition. Anyhow, look, uh, hang on, I'll just... Actually, I'll play to you where I'm up to you in your podcast. Hang on. There we are. <laughs> oh, Pacific Rose, right. Okay, well, I better get back into that. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, all right, hang on. All right. <laughs> that was <laughs> the infamous score. And he said, Mrs. Mandible had the shit. I think that... Uh... <laughs> She had shit that he'd written our number large enough so he could see it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Either way, I love that guy. <laughs> All right. Yes, I do uh, love him as well. And man, this episode's going to be a fucking nightmare. It just keeps up. <laughs> well, hopefully, we'll. All right. Uh, next voicemail. Well, don't want to sound like a dick or nothing, but. Uh... It says on your chart that you're fucked up. Uh, you talk like a fag, and your shit's all retarded. What I do is just like, like you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> funny guy. That's from the movie Idiocracy, and it's funny as hell. And um, he pops up in this cameo as a as a doctor, and it's just hilarious. I'm going to check out Hell in the Pacific this week. Uh, I really dug your review, so I'm going to watch that. And I hope it's... Um, Besides that, I've got nothing else of interest to say, (laughs) except you should watch some more uh, Justin Long, because he's hilarious. He's the funniest thing in uh, Zack and Miriam make a porno, which is a pretty lame movie. He was pretty much the best thing in the movie. Some shit, but he was an ever. Uh, I'll talk to you later, guys. Bye. All right. Well, there's Dangerous Jamie. He's a Justin Long fan, obviously. You know, I just want to bring this up, and I hope you can hear me when I say this, Luckily, I can hear you, but I do want to say that that voicemail, I only heard it in sections because some of it, for some reason, was cutting out as well. Oh, okay, great. Fantastic. A new, a new problem this morning. Awesome. Uh, really hate that movie. Which movie? Idiocracy. You hate it? I hate it. Why? I hate it. Just do not like it. I do not think it's funny at all. Oh, I liked it. <laughs> See? It divides people. You either love it or you hate it. And yeah, I, no, I thought it was good. And I don't hate Justin Long as much as everyone else because, quite frankly, I don't watch much TV beyond sports mm-hmm. um, and news and, and, you know, the occasional show, you know, Lost, which actually I've got a fucking boner because it's back, baby. Yes, it is back. We get to see what happened when uh, Juliet pushed the uh, 
or <laughs> detonated that bomb. So yeah. I don't watch the Apple commercials. I'm not annoyed by how you know pervasive he is on the airwaves. Right, right. Uh, I don't know. Don't love him either, though. So, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> why am I listening to my microphone as I wait for you to come back? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like my head's cocked to the side, and I'm like uh, trying to make out what you're saying through my microphone. That makes no sense. <laughs> oh, I just want to get through this feedback. All right, uh, next voicemail. Here we go. Gentlemen, I uh, went to see Avatar. Um, it was pretty good. I, I put it right up there with uh, some of the other movies. That uh, I, I'm not like I'm not a big uh, like you know like. I mean, I can't say I'm not a big Harry Potter fan because I've never seen, I've seen just a part of it and I kind of bailed on it, uh, you know, when friends were watching it. Lord of the Rings, you know, it's kind of the same thing. I, I just, when, once I finally caught Lord of the Rings on TV, I actually was kind of, you know, into it because it had the Vigo in it. Sean Bean was in it. Uh, had some, yeah, I didn't mind that one that much. Uh, but, you know, kind of a fantasy, kind of a... I don't know, sci-fi deal. Uh, Avatar was, it was all right. Uh, I'm not jumping through goddamn flaming loops or anything <laughs> like that over it, but it was okay. Uh, and, you know, it had some had some moments. Uh, um, Stephen Lang, uh, who is uh, uh, a favorite of mine, the dude was jacked. What the hell? What the hell happened there, you know? Uh, I don't remember Stonewall Jackson and, uh, you know, uh, Pickett, uh, being, you know, freaking jacked up like that. I mean, he must have been hitting some heavy iron and doing a cycle or something like that. But, I mean, you know, an older dude, he looked pretty fucking good, you know, and I don't mean that in a, you know, gay way or, you know, he looked pretty good. Homoerotic way, I guess, you know. because <laughs> uh, I'm all man. Um, let's see. Apparently, so is he. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, that was a welcome surprise because uh, uh, you know uh, Stephen Lang was jacked. Where'd she get them boobies? Um, but anyway, I uh, had a good time with it. Uh, other than the fact that it was in an old theater, and uh, the backrest of the chair came up to about the middle of my back, and uh, it was just miserable trying to freaking sit in that old piece of shit theater. Um, right now I'm snowed in. It's coming down pretty good. Uh, had a little uh, Josh Brolin fest going on. <laughs> uh, yesterday I watched Milk, uh, which was pretty good. Uh, you know, had a lot of. It didn't have the homoerotic. It just. It was just straight out. You know, mono on mono action. Uh, but it was a good movie. I, I thought it was pretty good. I thought Josh Brolin was good. Sean Penn was good. Uh, he's not one of my favorite actors because he kind of, I don't know. I don't know what it is about him. I mean, I like when I, I liked him back when he ate the booger and uh, uh, Bad Boys. <laughs> but uh, and you know, but he, I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, that one was pretty good. Uh, I liked it because it, uh, just the way it was shot and everything, 
it was it was really kind of you know a, 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 almost a historical uh, piece, and uh, it really you know kind of educated me on something that I you know didn't know about, which was that time and what happened and everything. Actually, got on and started looking up some stuff about that Dan White and uh, and uh, you know the fucker murdered you know two people in cold blood and he only got like five years, you know, but you know he got out and blew his brains out. But anyway, and then I'm watching W with also with Josh Brolin, which is not too bad. But it's you know so far maybe it's because we just went through all that shit. But uh, I don't know. It's not. It's not. I like Oliver Stone uh, sometimes. El, uh, you know, Salvador was good. Uh, but it's not. It's not really setting the world on fire. I just like that all the people were in it because I guess you know they Oliver Stone. You know, so they all sign up. Oh fuck yeah, I got to get in this. Paul Williams, you know, as Turd Blossoms, you know, uh, I couldn't, you know, surprised to see him. Got Scott Glenn in there, and you got a very, very rotund Stacy Keach, one of my favorites. Stacy, getting in there with the big fat Val and fat John Travolta. You got fat Stacy Keach. <laughs> anyway, that's about it. Uh, Avatar was all right. <laughs> okay, that's a way to end it right there. All right. Uh, while he was talking, I did some adjustments to the uh, Skype. I hope it sounds a little bit better on your end. This is a good news, bad news scenario. Yes. The good news is you're louder. Uh-huh. The bad news is I'm hearing everything I'm saying echoed back. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> and it's a lot louder. I'll take this, though, instead of, you know, this sort of conking my head sideways trying to hear what's happening in my earphones, but... <laughs> Oh, that seems better. I'm not echoing. There's a start. We're on the up and up, lad. We're on the up and up. We sound a little bit better now. Maybe. 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 Uh, chances are we probably don't sound that good still. Hey, Sammy, what if you sort of lean back from the uh, the mic for a minute? Try that. I'm back a little bit. Oh, good. That's much better. Okay. Maybe I got a little too close there. A little too close. Cross the line. A little too close. Cross the line. All right, yeah, so he liked Avatar a little bit, and yeah, he's right. I think Stephen Lang hit some juice before he uh, showed up in that movie. He's always been kind of bulky, but uh, yeah, it's obvious to me that he uh, he might have, you know, might have hooked up with Alex Rodriguez for a few minutes there. I'll tell you this, he, he definitely did a few cycles. He, he uh, you know, he was looking fantastic, and he brought up two good things. It's something I forgot to mention when I talked about Avatar. Number one, Lang was far and away, far and away the MVT of that film for me. Um... Like I said, if you can out Ironside the Ironside, you've done yourself a great service. And two, I really liked Michelle Rodriguez in that film. She usually plays that fucking bull dyke role to the point where it gets annoying. And she was great in that. She was very sympathetic. She was sweet. And she actually looked pretty again, which I hadn't seen in quite some time. Because she's always been a little hard around the edges. And, you know, I really liked her in that. So uh, I'm glad he mentioned that. Yeah. Actually, uh, it's the acting I didn't really have too much trouble with in the movie, believe it or not. No, I agree. I mean, everyone was, was pretty serviceable. It's just that the script was so bland. And, and um, why was I going to say Sam Waterston? Sam Worthington. Yes. Uh, Sam, <laughs> doing a different movie with his, Waterston in yeah. it. I call um, him uh, Sam Blandington. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't hate him, but he's a little bland. I mean, that's not... Yeah, he, he is a little bland. Right now, he, he hasn't had that role to really push him over the top. He's been in some big hits, but he really hasn't been in that role to me that kind of, you know, makes him stand out. 
Salvation had the potential until Bale sort of grabbed a hold of it and yes. turned it into the John Connor Chronicles. Yes, the John Wayne Chronicles, so the Bruce Wayne, the Bruce Connor <laughs> Chronicles. The okay. John Wayne Chronicles. All right, uh, next voicemail. Another Zomwell. Here we go. And one last thing. Uh, this goes out to Emily. Happy birthday to you. How? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Emily. Happy birthday. <laughs> All right, that uh, the end of that sounds a little bit like Barry Gibb, almost. <laughs> well, it's interesting because he morphs from Louis Armstrong into something else, into the Brothers Gibb. So <laughs> interesting, uh, as interesting a happy birthday song as you're ever going to hear. Yes, I love the Zom. He always has something great to say about... Uh, Everything, actually. And let me say, because I didn't get a chance to say this on Twitter yesterday or on her Facebook page, but yesterday was uh, Emily's birthday, so happy birthday, Emily. I did wish her one on Facebook because I'm always on there, and thank God for that feature. If I miss your birthday, anyone, it's because usually Monday to Thursday, Monday to Wednesday, I'm not on there. But, yeah, again, I'll say it on there. Happy birthday, Emily. Yes, happy birthday. DailyDollsHouse.blogspot.com All right. I'm trying to see how much background noise is being picked up by my microphone. Hang on one second. Just be, just be deadly quiet for a second. Wow, that's a lot of noise. Oh, well. We'll see what it sounds like when we put the show out. Say <laughs> All right. Next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, gentlemen. This is Cody. Uh, I know you wanted to uh, get some calls from some uh, chaos uh, experiment fans or Steam experiment fans, I know it goes, it's both titles. And while I wouldn't uh, classify myself as a, a fan, I'm definitely someone who enjoyed the movie. Um, Val Kilmer, always been a special actor for me, was in my uh, actually first R-rated movie, uh, The Ghost in the Darkness, first PG-13 movie, uh, Batman Forever, uh, but first grade. Um and uh, his Doc Holiday was really what opened up the Western for me. So I've always kind of stuck close to him. Uh, and when I see, uh, I read a synopsis saying, uh, Val Kilmer plays Mad Scientist. I don't even bother fucking finishing the rest of it. I just go find the thing. And I watch it. And it's, it's ridiculous. It is fucking stupid as shit. No <laughs> joke. You're absolutely correct. It was heavy-handed and just couldn't be much dumber but i really i'm very i'm glad i saw it uh i, I barely remember it. i saw it probably uh seven months ago and it was it's, it's bad not something i'll ever watch again but i am glad i saw it um also willie you said mentioned a uh, the i've not seen helmets in the pacific um so did lala schifrin's ships on whatever so what that's name uh, worst score. Um, I hate to shit on sudden impact again, but <laughs> holy shit, it is just it's just awful. Uh, nothing's worse than a a guy having to use synth 
or feeling like he needs to use simp has no idea how to use simp. It's just, <laughs> just fucking terrible. It sounds like uh, uh, Miami Vice with sounds or something. It's fucking terrible. Um, oh, on on Avatar, you're, both of you are absolutely right. It's just there is there is no disputing it's it's ineptitude. It is a beautiful movie. I've never seen anything like it. Very glad that I did see it, but just fucking the dialogue, everything was the dialogue, the fucking story. I've seen. I fucking hated Fern Gully when I saw it in like <laughs> preschool. Uh oh, a Fern Gully in per- uh, comparison because it's a lot prettier. Mm. That Navi, just totally uninteresting protagonist. I was much more interested in watching Stephen Lang just kick the piss out of blue hippies. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> I just think that, but it's the number one movie all time. Is a sad inevitable fact of life oh and uh big fan not as good i'm not as uh big a fan of that as i am the wrestler love 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 the wrestler i did really enjoy it uh as a uh lifelong dedicated fan to uh, another uh nfc east team that beat a certain nfc east team to break a certain uh 14 year playoff loss uh or winless record um <laughs> I, I'm I've done stupid things. I've I've raged when I shouldn't have. I've, I've I've broken things. I haven't called him sports shows and uh, masturbated while crying or whatever he did in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say it was it was a, I, I thought Oswald was spot on. I thought he was wonderful. I was I know Oswald as a guy who makes jokes about Boba Fett. Yeah, and does that kind of thing. And I was wondering how I was going to be sold on him as a sports fan, but I, I got me. Um, I really, I, I highly recommend it to, to any sports fan. Between that and it being short, yes, the the ending is kind of perplexing in some ways, but like overall, just a just a fine fine movie, I think. All right, uh, talk to y'all later. Bye. It's almost like with the big fan comments, it's almost like he started off like he wasn't going to like it at all, and then he finished off by saying he kind of dug it. So it was kind of weird. Yeah, and I mean, I talked about uh, my thoughts on big fan in the intro, so I won't say too much more, but uh, as always, Cody's on point, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, he likes Jarrah's team, I guess, uh, the boys. Yes. Uh, he's a homosexual. Yes, the boys. That's, that's the Doc's team, too. Yeah, that's true. I can't get behind the uh, that star that they have, but uh, yes, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so I think you know how I feel about the Cowboys. I know how you feel. <laughs> well, see, being a Packer fan in the early '90s when the triplets were in Dallas was uh, not yes. fun. So yes. you know how I feel about the Cowboys. I do. I do. Good point. Good point. All right, uh, and his thoughts on Avatar are pretty spot on. I mean, yeah, it is a wonder to behold, special effects wise. I will not deny that. Uh, it's just as a film, it is. Uh, oh, it's as empty as the new hard drive I just bought. All right. <laughs> uh, next voicemail, a short one here. Jesus Christ! I must be losing my freaking marbles. That was not Paul Williams playing, <laughs> playing Carl Rove at W. It's Toby Jones <laughs> who uh, played Truman Capote in Infamous. <laughs> Yes. So anyway, uh, I knew some somebody would point that out, but that fucker should play Paul Williams. He could play little Burnett, Burnett, Burnett. 
All right, so <laughs> that was a uh, Zom calling back. Hey, he's true, you know. I, I never really thought about it, but Toby Williams or Toby Jones does kind of look like uh, Paul Williams a little bit. Yeah, he does. It's really bizarre. and I like uh, Toby <laughs> yeah. Williams. Yeah, uh, no, Jones. Toby Jones. Jones. Yes, and Paul Williams. Now I'm see. Now I'm mixing them up. I yes. like uh, Toby Williams. Fuck Toby Jones <laughs> as an actor. Love it. Was he an Avatar? No, no. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But everybody's kicking their agent's ass that they weren't an avatar right now. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, next voicemail. Here we go. I don't have anything to say about that. Hey, guys. It's me again. Just thought I'd share a weird experience I've had a few times with you and uh, if you've had anything like this happen to you guys. Uh, I remember uh, right before I left for um, school this year, I'm out in university. I was um, in the library, and they were getting rid of all their stuff. And selling some movies, selling some books. And um, I was really thinking, because I have a pretty good collection of movies. I, you know, I mean, who doesn't? You know? So um, it wasn't like trying to find new movies. It was like uh, the whole thing. And they were great. And there's a DVD case, and it's just a blank DVD. Not DVD, sorry. It's a VHS. Like a VHS case. And um, it's the only one there that doesn't have anything like it doesn't have a doesn't have a name. They pulled off the uh, the labels, and so I'm completely curious. I mean, what is this? And so I buy that, and um, I don't know what's on yet because my VHS player is broken. But I found that I do buy these these uh, these unmarked cases. Frequently now, ever since um, I guess a few years back, I did the exact same thing. Same thing happened when VHSs were more in style, when people are still using them a lot. And um, I don't think it was unmarked this time. I think it was a movie, like a movie case, like a copied movie. All I know is that I put it in, and it was just this bizarre. Just if it was a movie case. It wasn't the movie advertised, because uh, I just remember it was like, it's it a very, very, like, surreal movie. And, um, and then it just got, I don't know, it was like a, like a Toro Ishii kind of film. Kind of like one of those really hyper-surreal, violent Japanese movies. And it wasn't done in such a way as to seem exploitative, as much as it's just, Freaking weird. Like, I mean, I, I've tried to find the movie ever since that, just just for the curiosity sake. I could not figure out what this was, and just to find it, like, so it's like like an innocuous place. And so, ever since then, whenever I stick an unmarked DVD or uh, like, a, like a VHS tape, looks like someone recorded something onto it, I'll always pick it up. <clears throat> and I wondered if you guys. I never had an experience like that where you find something, you buy something that's not what it really is, or anything like that. Uh, love the show, and I'll can't wait to hit the next episode. See you later, guys. Um, I can't remember that gentleman's name. He called him before, but I can't remember. Yeah, it's if I remember correctly, it's Lee. Oh yeah, I think so. He didn't say his name that time, so couldn't quite recall. I don't know, Large William. Do you ever buy blank cases, uh, disempty cases? Do you ever buy those? 
Um, I have, because I do still collect VHS, and there's something to be said for sort of the thrill of the hunt as opposed to some of the places we frequent where it's sort of a one-stop shop. I do have to say that I came out on the wrong end of a gamble. Um, I don't have anything too exciting to say, but one sort of disappointing one uh, was I went to this store that sells a lot of old VHS. They buy it from mom and pop stores. I just pulled it off my shelf because I can't remember what was in it. thought I had bought Shallow Grave because I'd never seen it. You know, the early Danny Boyle film. I thought, awesome, I'm going to get to watch it. So I slide out, as I'm doing now, slide the movie out of the case, and it's the fucking Lost World Jurassic Park. (laughs) So... Ooh, it's not even the good Jurassic Park movie. (laughs) No, it's... and Which, yeah, which would have been okay, I guess, but... Would have been better, anyway. I mean, it would have eased the pain a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So let me put this back beside Slaughter in San Francisco and Redger Howard's split second. Nice. Um, so that was disappointing. But, you know, the, the, it's almost like when you're a kid, you know what we buy those those nondescript brown bag grab bags? Yes. More often than not, there was nothing but fucking penniless, like worth a penny, just useless shit. But the odd time, you hit the jackpot. And more often than not, it's just that the possibilities were endless. Right, right. I, um, uh, I I haven't bought anything like that in years, and I can't even give you a story. But uh, nowadays, if I think about buying a blank VHS, I'm always scared I'm going to run in. I'm going to be like George C. Scott, and I'm going to run into some uh, some snuff films or something. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Because some of these dudes I've seen selling VHS tapes, and I've seen them unmarked. They've been like on the side of the road, selling them out of the back of a truck, and I'm like, hmm, <laughs> what's on yeah. that tape? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No telling what's on that thing, so kind of freaks me out a little bit so i kind of stay away sometimes uh and avoid them just for sheer fear i don't want to see that because i'm afraid it'll scar me for life all right uh next voice there we go old friend of the show here good i haven't heard from him in a while so this is good hey guys this is phil from syracuse how you doing great choices this week i had a lot of fun watching them it was great seeing an early andy sedaris film from the 70s as opposed to the stuff he did later in the 80s and 90s. Stuff that looked like more of a Miami Vice episode or Baywatch. It was great seeing uh, something that looked like it was shown at a drive-in as opposed to Cinemax late at night. (laughs) William Smith was great. Loved his narration, his voiceovers. I just thought the last 30 minutes, I totally didn't know what the fuck was going on because of the editing, but the bloody squib mayhem was a big payoff. I just thought it was great. Uh, I thought the vaudevillian humor was a little broad, kind of like what? They thought some guy was funny, so they put him in the film. Was it a friend of Andy Sedaris's? I don't know. I did like the comment about the vibrator and the chipping away of the teeth. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it was good. It was a nice departure from the guns explosions from the 80s and 90s films. I think the first explosion happened around the 50s and 50 minute mark, if I looked at the player right, as opposed to just constant boobs, bullets, and explosions of his later films. Gone in 60 seconds, what can you say? Classic. Uh, I hadn't seen it in about five years. Um, the only thing that pulled me out of the film was I think it was the DVD uh, edition. Um, I think we probably had the same one unless you got an alternate source, but I'm going by the 2000 Nevere DVD 25th anniversary edition. The problem with that is the soundtrack has been remastered so much that it added this cool jazz music 
during the action scenes. Um, that was never really part of the film. I think they added it to enhance the surround sound of home theater systems. I think the soundtrack naturally should have been and was intended to be uh, the cars, the engines, the explosions, and the crashes. Kind of like, I don't know, a relative of someone said, hey, let's make this sound better and add shitty music to it. I don't know. Sort of sucked, but didn't kill the film. It's still a lot of fun. Uh, do you know what the third one is? I know the second one's called Junkman, but apparently there's a trilogy. I don't know if that's available, but um, I'd be curious to know what your source for this was. If there is a original film print source out there, I would love to get it. So, uh, see what else. Anything else? Oh, I like the use of real tools in this film, too, like hotwire cars. That's really cool. And the non-actors, I thought were quite charming. I like films that use real people who aren't actors, and it's like the dialogue is just what they would say in real life. It kind of keeps the film grounded in its documentary style, or cinema verite. I really like that. I thought that was um, pretty neat. Um, other than that, great choices this week, and I'm sure your reviews are... Good as always. Take care, guys. Have a great week. Bye-bye. All right. Good friend of the show, Phil, there. Um, the third film is known as Deadline Auto Theft. That is the... Uh, this actually... It's funny I mentioned this in a review. I thought about covering them as a trilogy GTMC, but Deadline Auto Theft is actually pretty hard to get a hold of. So, Is it available through our usual... Uh... I haven't checked. Yeah, but uh, it is uh, that's got a great. I have seen it once. I saw it on VHS tape, uh, and I remember that the name. And I just looked this up, and I remember that the first name of his character in that one's really bizarre. Mandrian, Mandrian Pace. It's that's actually the same in all three of them, Sammy. Uh, well, no, it says here that in the Junkman he was known as Harlan B. Hollis. Oh, but in the first one, I know in, in Gone in 60 Seconds, yeah. he's Mandrian, too, but they, I, it sounds like Adrian. Yeah, or Vichinsky, or whatever. In uh, See, the thing is, I think in my copy of Gone in 60 Seconds, I think I have the same one Phil does. I don't even remember him mentioning his name hardly. Uh, I have the, the special edition as well. Um, it's got a lot of good special features, actually. Uh, they mentioned it a few times, but you're right. I mean, it's not in the point where... Yeah, maybe I overlooked it. Yeah, maybe you're too busy masturbating to the cars. Yeah, that's quite true. That That, that is quite possible. I did like Ele- <laughs> Eleanor is hot. Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't mind getting in that tailpipe. <laughs> <laughs> Let her cool off for a few minutes, lest you be involved oh, in a few, few skin graft a few operations. Minutes, a few minutes my ass. It'll be hours. I ain't going in there anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, thanks for the voicemail, Phil. Hadn't heard from yes. you in a while. It's good to hear from you again. It is. Absolutely. Thank you, Phil. All right. Uh, next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, Big Willie and the Samurai. It's Tom DJ calling you from Better Out of, Better in the Dark Laboratories in Brooklyn. I'm sorry. I've been laughing too freaking hard. I've been listening to your podcast, the most recent one that covered, uh, called entitled Pacific Rose. And, oh, man. Um, but I got a couple of things for you to, to say to you first. Uh, one, uh, movies about mummies where mummies are threatening. You might want to check out a film. It's an, I think it's an Italian film. It was made in, I think, and my memory is vague, so forgive me. I think it was made in 1972. It was called Dawn of the... No, actually, it's probably later, because I'm pretty sure it was made as a uh, kind of sort of ripoff of uh, Dawn of the Dead. 
but it was definitely made in the 70s. It was called Dawn of the Mummy, and it's about a bunch of guys, and they're digging somewhere that I think is supposed to be Spain, but is obviously played by the, uh, you know, somewhere outside of Rome in Italy, and they uncover not only a mummy, but a whole group, a mummy that commands an army of zombies, and they're all cannibals. And in one memorable scene, the uh, cannibal mummy and his zombie, cannibal zombie hordes wander onto the site of a wedding that's happening in a small little town in this little pseudo-Spanish village, and they go to town, if you know what I mean, and I think you do. So you might want to check that out, because that is a threatening mummy movie. Um, another thing. You might be, the other thing that, that, that came up on, though, the thing that just got me into uh, paroxysms of laughter was when you started talking about Big Fan and stuff, and I'm glad to know that there are, there's at least two podcasters out there who are bigger football fans as I am, because I am a major, major football fan. You don't have to listen to Bitter in the Dark to hear me talk about my favorite team, the New York Jets. And let me tell you something. Nice. Um, fuck Brett Favre. Fuck that goddamn selfish piece of fucking shit. Oh, we turned to a sports radio you know, show. I, I, I'm glad he went down, and I can, God help you, you know, Samurai, I can so emphasize with having to hear about that. Having to hear all the, um, you know, stuff about the cults and, 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 and the, the one from the thumb and all that. I can understand that because, of course... We here, we Jets fans, all we hear about is that the only thing you've got going for you is Joe Namath raising the finger. Well, fuck y'all. Jeez, I hate that. I so, and I hated throughout the whole freaking last six weeks. Oh, you're just lucky. You're just lucky. We beat each team in, in turn. It's like, oh, you're just lucky. But you know what? I'm sorry. Brett Favre ruined our fucking season last year, and I'm glad that guy fucking didn't make it to the Super Bowl. I hope he, I hope he fucking goes back to Kiln and sits on his fucking goddamn tractor and lets all those people worship him. Because you ever seen footage of him Kiln? It's like a big goddamn uh, monument to his ego. But uh, sorry, I'm just. So I get so freak I get so freaking furious about oh well your team sucks because we have three Super Bowls and you have one yeah we just have the most important Super Bowl in the whole freaking goddamn history of your freaking sport but um, the other thing and Samurai I'm sorry I can't stand freaking James Cameron okay I think I'm with you on this because I think you you mentioned that you just had a problem with him. Um, but I think part of that problem, to be fair, is because of one of your fellow Kentuckians. I used to date a beautiful girl, uh, this was many years ago, when Titanic was uh, still in the theaters. I used to date a beautiful girl from Kentucky, and this was during a time when I was making a lot of money, and I was basically commuting back and forth from here in New York to Louisville every other week to uh, nice. basically uh, stay with her on the weekends. And... I'm not exaggerating. I had to watch that Titanic film every <laughs> single weekend I was with her. <laughs> and it made me hate James Cameron with such a passion. And I just cannot look at this thing. Everybody's going, well, why don't you want to go see Avatar? Because I don't want to give them more money to that goddamn asshat. You know, and like, I'm sorry. I'm just, but I am sorry. I'm just so full of vile. He is today. Vile and vile. But uh, guys, as always. Oh, 
And the thing that made me laugh, that made me basically laugh so hard, I, I lost, I lost everything, was when uh, Willie called Peyton Manning a fetus head. <laughs> Why? Because of course, right now I'm not too fond of Peyton Manning. Yeah, of course, <laughs> yes, guys. Still do a great job, and you, I'm still I listen every week, and I love it. <laughs> and have yourself a great day. Sounds like he cooled down toward the end there, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he was getting worked up, man. Yeah. Um, but I guess you know, being a sports fan can be frustrating. And you know, I, I just want to correct him. Super Bowl three was not the most important Super Bowl, respectfully. Uh, Tom, for the legitimizing or the legitimacy of the AFC, it was because the first two Super Bowls were won by the old NFL franchise known as the Green Bay Packers. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, yes, it did legitimize the AFC. Um, but uh, other than that, I don't have much to say. But, yeah, that's fair. Favre did kind of shit on your season, and that was just a stopover, and everyone knew it, and everyone knew it was a bad fit for the good old boy gunslinger to be in uh, the Big Apple. But, hey. You know, yeah. I I did get soured on that, but yeah, the uh, the while the, when the playoffs started, I was actually rooting for the Jets because I didn't have any skin in the game this year, so I was actually kind of rooting for the Jets a little bit, especially after they beat the Bengals, who destroyed the Steelers twice this year. So <laughs> I was very uh, I was very much on the Jets bandwagon uh, this yeah. year, but unfortunately, it came to an end, and I really don't have any skin in the game in the Super Bowl, honestly, either. But uh, I do want the Saints to win, obviously. Oh, absolutely. I'm all about the Saints. I love Breeze, and I hate, I hate, I hate Reggie Bush. I mean, he's a whiny fucking bust. Fuck yeah. him and his two yards of carry and fall down. Um, you know, it, but anyway, we could, this could turn into a fucking sports show, but. Uh, it almost did there for a minute. It just sounded like, it sounded like Big Fan there for a minute when he started going off about yeah. Brett Favre. <laughs> but, uh, I do want to say one more thing. Uh, it's all about the Saints, and, uh, Rex Ryan has that team on the up and up, uh, Tom, so not to worry. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, next voicemail. Here we go. Hey there, gents. Uh, double dose of uh, Dangerous Jamie this week. Uh, I've just finished watching Hell in the Pacific. And I fucking loved it. It was great. Um, I made a few notes, so I just wanted to run those past you. Um, I loved how the, the how expressive their faces were. Um, there's a way the way Borman shoots it. It's kind of like the way Leone uh, shoots people's faces and manages to get the depth of every little crease and every look. Uh, it's pretty perfect I love how so much is just said with looks and there's dialogue's pretty minimal through the whole thing um, I, I totally agree with you uh, about the music I don't want to give too much away about the ending but uh, there's a bit towards the end where the music just swells into this big cheesy pile of like hallmark bullshit and I uh, it was it was uh, it was really lame I wasn't happy with that at all um, what else have I got the first raft um, is a piece of shit. I could have made better than that using like the empty coke cans that are currently surrounding me. Um, like he gets his log, his uh, his my log, my log. He gets that back uh, really easily. My log. Uh, it should be a bit more difficult than that if you're going to go face the torrent of the friggin' Pacific Ocean. Um, also, the Lubber Line conversation, I just found that hilarious. I thought Lee Marvin was pretty hilarious through the whole movie. Um, it was good. And uh, in the in the Milog scene, when he, uh, when uh, Lee Marvin shouted in Mifuni's face, 
I just love how blank and expressionless Mifune um, is, and he just sort of rubs his beard. It's just, it's like a little touch, but it's so perfect. I really loved it. Uh, the knife sharpening scene again, that was so sweet. It's like they totally bonded. I was really into it. Um, what uh, I had a theory about his uh, his little song. I don't know the song, uh, Nancy Dill, whatever it was. But every time he sang it, it seemed to be like a, a warning that something a bit shitty was about to happen. Um, I don't know if that's what was intended or if it was just sort of to bridge the gap so you weren't just on a, having like a, a storm of shit thrown at your face the whole time. And um, I really loved the line, uh, for a second there, I thought you were a Jap. I just uh, It just sort of summed up the entire movie um, <laughs> perfectly. It was really great. Uh, the end that the I saw was, um, I think, the, the re-done ending. And um, I, don't, I haven't seen the original ending. I've done, I've done I have a little bit of a read about it. But um, I can't imagine it being incredibly different. Just a bit sort of stupid uh, and pointless change it. Really, but there you go. Also, I don't know if there's a drinking game, uh, Hell in the Pacific drinking game, but Mafune's character said, um, I, I watched it with the subtitles, Mafune's character said, sure, uh, which the subtitles translated as damn it <laughs> yeah. um, a lot of times. So if you yeah, were to take a shot every time he said sure, <laughs> then you would probably be pretty wasted before they make the raft. Um, that's all I've got to say. So I love the movie. Thanks to you guys for turning it on, turning me on to it. And uh, I'll speak to you next week, I guess. Bye. All right. Dangerous Jamie calling back in there. Uh, he did say damn it a lot, didn't he? Yes, he did. Like, sure. That's <laughs> <laughs> my Mafuni impersonation. Do you like that? Yes, that was quite good. Spot on. <laughs> yeah, and I will say, to add to that, Mafuni is the master, in my opinion, of the beard rub. He does that a lot in uh, uh, Yojimbo, too, when he's up on the mountain, first sort of pondering. You yeah. had that as your picture for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, he does that. He does, uh, in in, the, in uh, Kurosawa's red beard, he rubs his red beard whenever he's pontificating. <laughs> he's rubbing that red beard. He's going to town on it, too, man. And and, yeah. and red beard's not exactly, uh, you know, a film for everybody. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of more of a drama as opposed to a samurai film, but it's still pretty great to watch him rub that damn beard. And uh, he does it in every film I can think of, really. He's like the master of the beard. He's the master of chin strokery. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Give a little chin stroker reference there. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you could have. Uh, it could be a drinking game, actually, Jimmy. It's actually a good call. So, oh! <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, John Belushi doing uh, cheeseburger. Cheeseburger, cheeseburger. I feel like Bill now. I'm going into the SNL archives for my comedy. <laughs> <laughs> To my old Robert Goulet next. Dooby dooby doo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, one last voicemail. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you can hear me now, anyway. <laughs> yes, I can. All right. Uh, next voicemail, and this is the last one of the day. Here we go. Um, hey, gentlemen. Big Willie in the Samurai. Uh, Bellis again. Or Blake. Uh, just wanted to call and uh, talk about some shit that I thought you guys might find interesting. Uh, sorry about my last message. It sounded, uh, I guess, kind of like I had uh, run up a hill and stopped the shit out of baby. 
a little weird. <laughs> but to be fair, I was blazed as fuck. Um, so sorry about that. No planning. Just kind of a spur of the moment thing. But uh, still, thanks for answering my questions and kind of meditating on Chopper in relation to the Marine film. Still excited about seeing those films. Um, like I said, just kind of perusing your podcast. Um, I'm a fucking caveman, so I'm not up and up with the technology. So I'm like burning your podcast of fucking CDRs and listening to my car, like cutting them up and audacity. So that's dedication. There. Just listen uh, to different different podcasts throughout your run. <laughs> really pleased, enjoy them all, and. uh just some some shit I, I've seen that uh, you guys talked about. First of all, I saw Good, the Bad, and the Weird recently. Really good film. Kind of talked about a little bit on the uh, message board. Uh, really enjoyed Song Kang Ho's uh, performance, of course. He really uh, was clearly the centerpiece of the movie and uh, just, you know, positively weird, um, but just a fun uh, lead to watch. And... Uh, like I said uh, on the message board, the good and the bad were uh, a little uh, uh, kind of played up as uh, played off as uh, caricatures of what they were supposed to be to me. Um, but I still enjoyed their performances overall, and that fucking action sequence with the uh, with the uh, deep sea diving helmet was fucking unbelievable. Really enjoyed it. Um, so just wanted to kind of touch on that. That was awesome. Um, I want to give you some on-air backup, um, Sammy, because I'm hearing all these fucking people calling in and talking about what a fucking spectacle uh, Avatar was. And, uh, I, I mean, it's not that I thought it was a bad film per se, like horrible. Uh, it just wasn't what I wanted it to be. I mean, I have seen some fucking big uh, budget uh, action films where I went to the theater, and I, was, and they, I mean, they fucking blew my balls off, you know, like, uh, fucking, um, I know a lot of fucking hardcore genre fans always rip on it, but, um, Fellowship of the Ring, I remember seeing that in theaters, and I was just fucking blown away by that initial fucking battle sequence, I didn't get anything like that from, uh, Avatar, I mean, that was alright, and then, you know, I'll, I'll always, uh, forgive James Cameron for whatever he does for doing fucking Aliens, and, uh, Terminator 2, which I think are fucking, you know, obvious classics, you know, um, um, nice, uh, kind of shout out to, uh, to the samurai, I, I hear you talking, uh, well, both of you guys, um, giving shout outs to John Pierre Melville, and thanks for, um, turning me on to him, I, you know, um, definite kind of uh, giant in the industry, but I had never seen any of his films, and I finally saw Late Samurai the other day, and uh, I think that, that, I think Sammy may have mentioned that that's part of his uh, namesake, and I just wanted to say that I appreciate that you guys turned me on to that. One of the best films I've ever fucking seen, just bare um, to the point, and it, it clearly set this certain precedent that every kind of... Uh, assassin film tried to kind of cop or an ape, you know, I mean, to, to the present day. Um, you know, um, so really excited to see that film, that fucking awesome score, that weird, uh, synthy soundtrack I really enjoyed. Um, 
just uh, all around. I mean, like instant five star film. I guess you know you guys probably are uh, all seen it. Um, all you uh, minions, but I, I I just saw it. It's fucking awesome. Watch Martyrs. Um, you guys always you guys have kind of name dropped that several times, and you know of course that's been floating around the internet for a while. Um, can't fucking say anything about it, you know, because that's that's kind of thing. Uh, so I won't. But uh, saw that film, and uh, I will say that the uh, the the you know the actress um, in it. The first uh, lead actress um, was just unbelievably fucking hot. One of the hottest actresses I've ever seen. Um, so we'll mention that. Um, hot, hot lady. Um, and uh, just generally uh, uh, appreciate the show. I wanted to say that. Challenged by you guys and Zom and Shiftless and uh, Fake Shimp on the board. You guys are always mentioning cool shit I haven't seen that I'm keeping an eye out for now, so I want to just uh, throw that out there. We're really cool shit uh, uh, to kind of sink my teeth into, and uh, um, you know, uh, so that's pretty cool. And uh, one thing I can't remember what show it was. Oh, it, it, you guys were talking about the Malou um, Malou trilogy. Um, with uh, Manhunt, El Boss, and uh, Calibro, uh, I'm sorry if I'm fucking mispronouncing all this shit, I know I am, Nine, um, uh, you had mentioned, Sammy, that fucking uh, the best scene in cinema history is the uh, opening sequence from uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, and I just wanted to kind of parry you there for a second and say, that's a fucking great scene, you know, uh, it kind of, uh, you know, watching that fly drift up uh, old dude's face and uh, just kind of feeling that tension. It's unbelievable. But that wasn't even the best fucking scene in that movie, man. The fucking duel <laughs> at the end was the best fucking scene in uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. And sorry if I'm, like, spoiling this for anyone. I hope I'm not. Um, but if I am, then you need to stop listening to this fucking, well, I won't say stop listening to this podcast, but fucking see that movie right now. But that fucking duel at the end with that fucking Ennio Morricone fucking electric guitar playing, man. That fucking, you know, harmonica melody, that... That fucking intense look and fucking Frank, Henry fucking Fonda, staring it out with fucking Charles Bronson, the mechanic man, and fucking shit is coming home to roost. Like, uh, just fucking... I don't know, I saw it. I was like, I mean... I don't even know what the fuck I'm watching right now. This is fucking, I mean, changed my life on the fucking spot. Just looking at fucking Charles Bronson's eyes. I, I thought, I mean, I mean, like, clearly fucking Henry Fonda's made a fucking mistake. And, uh, and, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what I do. I mean, the fucking mechanic, like, you know, uh, kind of guy that sits down with you and, uh, explains to you, what it's like uh, to die when you just slit your wrist. And a little Charles Bronson reference there, but god damn, that's a fucking amazing scene. And I just wanted to kind of parry your comment that that was the best scene in uh, cinema history when, I'm sorry, man, it's not even the best fucking scene in the movie. So, uh, anyway, uh, but uh, thanks again. Really enjoying the show. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, sorry about my uh, little voicemail last week, but uh, thanks for turning me on to all this shit, and uh, I'll keep returning. Um, but adios, dudes. Peace. All right, that was uh, Bellis, or Blake. Uh, he's Bellis on the boards. He's actually been on the board some, so good stuff. Uh, yeah, it's arguable if that's the best scene or not the best scene. Uh, I can't uh, – let me just put it to you this way, Bellis or Blake. Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West is a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> so there's so many great scenes in it. That's my opinion, let me just say. I don't know if William shares that opinion, but I know he does like the film. Uh, Large William, are you there? Make sure you're turned back up. <laughs> I have a feeling he's he's turned down. No, we cannot hear you. <laughs> you disappeared. He's a uh, he's a uh, he's a uh, texting me on the uh, Skype. There, let's see. He's ha- he hung up on me, and now he's going to call me back. So we'll see what happens. You guys get to hear a live Skype call. All right, are you back? I know I can hear you because I hear that hiss. <laughs> All right, you disappeared there for a minute. Yeah, it was weird. Um, burr, burr, burr. Uh, yes, Once Upon a Time in the West is absolutely a masterpiece. Yes, there we go. Absolutely. Um, the I, What did he say he thought the best scene was? I didn't quite he's, make that out. I was he's talking about the duel uh, toward the end of the film. The gun no, duel. I think the beginning for me, especially, you know, but hey, everyone's different. And it's just a masterpiece, so really you can't go wrong with yeah, it. Yeah, and there's some really good moments in between, too. There's actually that uh, scene right after the intro is really great, too, where uh, Henry Fonda and his guys come out of the bush with all those trench coats on and, uh, you know, talk to uh, our boy there. Uh, what's his name? Wolf? And his Harmon- son. Who are you talking about? Cheyenne or Harmonica? Yeah, no, or- I'm talking about when Henry Fonda and his boys come out of the... And they talk to our boy there who's in uh, The Great Silence and a couple other Italian movies. I can't remember his name. His first name. His last name is Wolf. I remember that. But. Oh, Frank Wolf. Yeah, Frank Wolf. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. When um, on his farm there. Yes yes, 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 yes. That's a pretty great scene, too. You get some great close-ups of Henry Fonda there. Yeah. That's just a great movie, man. It gives me chills to even talk about it. So, anyway, thanks for the voicemail. I think that's it as far as voicemails, Large William. So we can go into our thank yous and okay. whatnot. Okay. Um, before we go into our thank yous, well, I guess I'll speak for you on this. Um, I do want to thank the three people who um, were kind enough to to lend their time and their money to good causes over the holidays. And I said that anyone that did and sent me an email advising as such would get to pick one of my films. So um, I know, Doc, just to clarify, um, I think I know what you wanted. Brian, I know you'd given us a list, but I want you to pick one that you want us to most cover. And Loaf, I want you to also send us an email. So the three of you guys could email us and reconfirm what you want to cover. Uh, if we don't have them, by the time we acquire them, we'll get them on the show sooner yes. rather than later. Yes. So please do that. Um, in terms of thank yous and, and all that good stuff, uh, I do want to say check out our sister shows, OTC and Show Show, mm-hmm. uh, as well as all the other Pop Syndicate shows. Uh, check out our friends across the pond, Chinstroker versus Punter, Cinerama, uh, on the other side of the world, Paleo Cinema. Uh, check out Better in the Dark, our friends uh, in the East Coast, uh, uh, Tom and Derek. Uh, check out Action Attraction with the Metal One. Um, check out uh, as far as... Oh, also, speaking of Oz, let's uh, not forget to mention Ben and Alex's Cinecultania. Oh, yes. Um, yes. In terms of websites, etc., 
horrorcommentary.com. And these are all .blogspot.com. For the next ones, Hans's This Is Quiet Cool, Emily's Deadly Doll's House, Matt Suzaka's Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Pickle Loaf's Pickle Loaf, um, Lightning Bug's Lair, Naked Eskimo, uh, Heaven's Trash with a Z, Death Rattle 13, and Dear Bastards. Um... You can also get a lot of movies that we cover on the show, usually every other week, and we'll denote as such. Uh, and in fact, Seven was this week uh, at cinema-de-bazaar for all your hard-to-find genre needs. They have a promo right now, Sammy. I don't know if you know about this. Uh, they have a promo right now where instead of the usual 10%, you get 15 That's one 5% off your orders. Nice. Promo code, gentlemen. Uh, and they've gotten a new thing where they got special editions of some films with some real nice jackets and so forth. Uh, so check that out, guys. Um vote for us on Podcast Alley. It's a new month. We finished strong. Uh, thanks to everyone that voted near the back end of the month and, and vaulted us into third place. Uh, you know, that was fantastic. Um, iTunes reviews are always very nice and, and very much appreciated. Uh, friend us both on Facebook. Join the Facebook group. And uh, don't forget to donate if, in fact, you want to. Like I said, every dollar, every cent helps. Yeah, and I, thank every, um, I want to thank everybody again who has donated. No names on the air, but I do... Uh me and Will do thank you. We are very humbled by that. Trust me. Yeah, and just I couldn't believe the the size of a couple of the donations. I mean, you know, not to I, no. I'm going to get myself into a situation. <laughs> you know what? Thank you to everyone. Yes, every dig, dollar helps. Whether dig, it's one or fifty or <laughs> dig a hole, William. Dig a hole. <laughs> yes, uh, but thank you, everyone. Really, honestly, even if you donated fifty cents. Yes, thank you. It's much appreciated. Um. We're in the process, speaking of that, looking into maybe printing some shirts. Uh, I'll let you guys know when I get some more updates on that. Yep. And as usual, I've uh, saved our other good friends from New York City, our <laughs> dear friends from New York City for last, ParisCinema.net. Yes. The dynamic duo, Dylan and Christine, uh, run a nice little magazine that you all should support. So please check them out. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is everything. So... Uh I figured that uh, next week we'll uh, switch it up a little bit, and uh, we haven't covered uh, something like this yet on the show, so I, I figured, you know, we'll we'll do it. Uh, it's about time, because you asked me what I really wanted to cover next week, and I was like, oh, you know, I really don't know, man. I just hadn't thought about it, so I've changed my mind. We're gonna rec- I think in my, on my side, we're going to rec- uh, be covering uh, DC Cab, <laughs> Joel Schumacher's DC Cab from back in the day with the one and only Mr. T, but more importantly... The Barbarian Brothers and Gary Busey. <laughs> Very nice. So, what about you, Very Large nice. Williams? Well, I'm going to also switch it up. Uh, something that's not on the roadmap. Um, uh, one that uh, features the Sheen. Uh, we're going to be covering <laughs> the Wraith. Nice. <laughs> which I think is popular from a lot of our um, our childhoods uh, in the mid '80s. You know, uh, so we're going to do those two. It should be an interesting episode to say. It's going to be an all '80s episode next week. Yes, yes, and it's going to be another car movie, but that's okay. It's a little bit different with some sci-fi sort of. Yeah, it's got some. Horror. Well, actually, both films, if you really think about it, could be considered car movies. But yes, that's true. They're kind of odd car movies, to say the least. <laughs> yes, they're not their conventional car movies. So that will be next week's show. Uh, Sounds good. A lot of feedback this week. Uh, remember, guys, try to keep those voicemails under three minutes, please, or we're not going to be able to play them on the show. And uh, that's it. So until next week, uh, we'll say adios. Adios. Like Robert Goulet there all of a sudden. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Goodbye, guys. <laughs>
Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Yeah.